All right, welcome. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 140 uh, as we continue our slow and gradual march through the Council of Elrond. Uh, glad to uh, have everybody uh, uh, back with us here tonight. Um, so, yeah, we are approaching one gross, uh, JJ. It's uh, very true. Though it's not polite to make a, uh, to, to use that number uh, of class sessions, so I hear. Um, but um, anyway, I, I am uh, getting back. So I kind of have my fingers crossed tonight. Uh, I have been doing some work uh, to try to convince my laptop to behave uh, and <laughs> not crash. So we'll see how that goes. So far, so good. Um, <laughs> but let's uh, get jumping right in before you guys accuse me of, uh, of uh, uh, jinxing things again. Um, see, again, as I said before, I'm actually trying to jinx things because I'd much rather have crashes start happening at the front end than, like, in the middle of class. Uh, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how things go. <laughs> anyway. All right. So let us jump straight back into the text because we left off at kind of a cliffhanger, at least... Not exactly a plot cliffhanger, but a rhetorical cliffhanger uh, last week, right before Aragorn was about to deliver his uh, culmination, right? Um, oh, hey, uh, welcome. What is that? Uh, uh, hmm. Ah, Dracontarachne. Yes, Dracontarachne. Welcome. Uh, welcome. Glad you caught up. Always love to see people who have been listening through and get caught up and join us live for the first time. That's always fun. Um, uh, so, yeah, yeah. Strong work. Strong work. Good job. Um, anyway, okay. So, as I say, we're coming right to the end of, uh, of Aragorn's speech here. And we talked quite a bit about the Rangers of the North, and uh, we were thinking especially about what was the message that he was delivering to, to Boromir, as he's addressing Boromir uh, explicitly, though, of course, I have no reason to think that Boromir is his only intended audience uh, for this whole speech. Um, but, I, of course, I want to come back to that question again as we're looking at the end uh, and this fairly significant uh, rhetorical uh, uh, climax that he builds to here. Um, let me uh, just start off by going back one paragraph and then we'll segue into the big finish there. And yet less thanks have we than you. Travelers scowl at us, and countrymen give us scornful names. Strider I am to one fat man who lives within a day's march of foes that would freeze his heart or lay his little town in ruin if he were not guarded ceaselessly. Yet we would not have it otherwise. If simple folk are free from care and fear, simple they will be, and we must be secret to keep them so. That has been the task of my kindred, while the years have lengthened and the grass has grown. But now the world is changing once again. A new hour comes. Isildur's bane is found. Battle is at hand. The sword shall be reforged. I will come to Minas Tirith. Okay. Um, oh, great. Is it not coming across on the Twitch channel? Sorry. I'm seeing people are having issues. Uh, no? It's fine. Okay. Some people are having to find good. All right. <laughs> Goodness knows. I'm not going to take for granted that everything's working fine. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, so, uh, 
just a, a little note on the discussion board. There's been a lot of discussion about essentially the the rather patriarchal view uh, of the Rangers here. That is the the way that the Rangers have taken upon themselves not only uh, to keep the people safe, but essentially to keep them ignorant. Right? Um, uh, that to be kept free from care and fear, uh, and. Um, there, you know, some people voicing the opinion that uh, perhaps they could have handled it, right? Um, you know, why is it that the Rangers should make, should go quite this far, right, in in, in taking this choice? Some interesting uh, discussion there. Um, but, um, yeah, JJ asks, how much scorn and or bitterness should be in Aragorn's voice uh, when talking about Butterbur? I think not a lot. Um, uh, I mean, I don't think that there's much scorn I think, uh, if anything, um, I, I, I mean, in general, from what we've seen, I don't see much reason to think. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm projecting. I was going to say that I don't think. I think he speaks uh, of Butterbur with some affection. I certainly don't think that that sentence is totally inconsistent with um, uh, with affection for Butterbur. Um, but I, uh, but I don't know. Um, I. I, yeah, um, I'm trying to think of direct evidence that Aragorn feels affection for Butterbur. Um, the only piece of evidence I can think of is the sentence back in the Strider chapter when, uh, right after his identity has been confirmed, uh, and um, Frodo basically sort of invites the question, like, do you think we've been betrayed by Butterbur, right? Um, when he talks about how Butterbur tried to prevent uh, Strider from seeing them, right? Uh, and Frodo's like, you know, do you think any, you know? And, um, and he says, no, I don't, uh, you know, I don't think any harm of old Butterbur. Old Butterbur is the phrase which sounds to me a little bit affectionate, right? Um, uh, he certainly doesn't think that he's in league with the enemy, right? Um, he does seem to, you know, believe that Butterbur has uh, sort of his heart in the right place there. Um, but um, yeah, and Fourth Dauntless, I was thinking about Mary's. Uh, uh, comments to Butterbur, uh, that is all the retroactive uh, thing, stuff about Aragorn with his golden cup and everything when they come back through in the return of the king. But the problem is that's not from Aragorn, right? I mean, for all we know, Aragorn could be off, you know, hundreds of miles away nursing a grudge against Butterbur. I mean, I wouldn't think so, but it's possible. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I'd link and I tend to think that too. I mean, Aragorn is going to understand what it meant that Butterbur was out there with his cudgel, right, patrolling to, you know, protect the inn from black riders or whatever, you know, might come. Um, even if, you know, foes that live a day's march away would freeze his heart and Aragorn knows it, uh, I, I, I do still think that he tended to, um, uh, that he, that, that he certainly would have respected that, Lincoln. So I, I do, I do definitely agree with that. Um, um, Tony says he does call Butterbur by his first name too, which implies, f f which implies familiarity. I agree. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. So I, I, what evidence there is, I think suggests that he, he 
doesn't is not feeling like angry and and really bitter uh, towards Butterbur. My suspicion, like, why does he bring this up? Why does he talk about a you know a, a fat man who lives within a day's march of foes that would freeze his heart? Why does he talk about that? I think uh, um, here he's clearly making this reference for uh, uh, Frodo primarily's benefit and Gandalf maybe secondarily. Very few people in the room are going to know who he's who he's talking about, right? And it doesn't matter to most of them. Right. Like to Boromir, for instance, Boromir is not is unlikely to know. This is that I think it is uh, there's a non-zero chance he could have passed through Bree. But I don't think he's going to necessarily be immediately thinking about Butterbur uh, when uh, Aragorn says this. Aragorn doesn't give enough information to identify. doesn't mention Bree. Right. Um, he just says one fat man who lives within a day's march. But he mentions the nickname Strider, which, of course, Frodo would immediately associate with Butterbur. Um, but um uh, yeah. Anyway, so um, uh, yeah. Angus points out that Strider called him fat to his face. Um, uh, a fat innkeeper who only remembers his name because people shouted at him all day. Absolutely. Um, and keep in mind, uh, we have to remember context here. Um, one fat man. That's not a harsh phrase. I mean, like fat. Calling somebody fat um, just does not mean the same thing in Tolkien's world that it means in our current society. Um, I, I think most people, you know, now sort of acknowledge that as a, as a, as a mean-hearted thing to say to somebody, right? It's, ab- there's no evidence that anyone, even fat people... <laughs> Take it that way in Tolkien's world. Um, uh, Bomber is not ashamed of being fat, no matter how many fat jokes are made at his expense in The Hobbit, right? Um, and um, uh, and belongs not exactly as you say, Fatty Bulger's nickname seems to be perfectly well embraced by himself, right? Uh, I, it's, there is just, I think we just have to kind of empty that word, that epithet, really, as of the, the, the kind of freight that it like feels like to us, right? Uh, Nathan, I do tend to agree, a friendly jab, uh, I would say at most, honestly, uh, a sort of a friendly jab, uh, it, even sort of hobbitry. And I do agree with uh, uh, several people who are saying that, of course, in, especially in an innkeeper, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with being fat. Um, uh, it's, uh, as, uh, Gilgonthier says, jolly old innkeepers were supposed to be fat, just like Santa Claus. And uh, as Tarlonial said, does, would anybody trust a skinny innkeeper? You know, uh, it's, uh, it's a bad look. Um, uh, so yes, exactly. Fat equals prosperous and was thus admirable. And Kit, I think about the way that the, the fat jokes about Bumber come back, right? Remember the business about him now being so fat that he needs four people to, to move him to his place at table? That wasn't so long ago in the book, right? Um, yeah, that's a sign of how prosperous he is, right? How prosperous and happy Bumber has been ever since that time, right? Um, so, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's really, um, it's really going to be, um, it's really going to be it's going to be a measure of his prosperity and of his comfort. Right. Um, uh, yeah, 
it's going to be it, it's going to be a sign of uh, that he is well to do, right? That he lives a comfortable life in a comfortable town, um, and uh, uh, and that he's a you know the food in his inn is good, right? I mean that's that's um, um, that's definitely a really good thing. Um, Aranas, it is true that fat is also relative. Uh, I, I wonder exactly um, what, um, I, I, you know, <clears throat> what Butterbur's um, obesity level really is by modern standards, for instance. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, JJ, I, that's a really good point. JJ says that, you know, one reason that Bomber is made so much fun of in The Hobbit is that he's on an adventure. If he had stayed home, he probably wouldn't have been teased so much. Yeah, one of the jokes is that it's a, he's, a, he's an old fat dwarf out on a treasure hunt, right? There is something, uh, that I, what, what is kind of being emphasized there is the, is the, the, the sort of, I don't know, I know we can go quite so far as inappropriateness, but something like that, right? Um, the sort of disjunction there. Um, uh, but um, uh, yeah, yeah, absurdity. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, um, but uh, in any case, so yeah, it's. I I certainly do not think that that calling him a fat man it suggests you know. Uh, uh, bitterness or, or mean spiritedness, certainly on Aragorn's part. Um, uh, and in the context of the sentence, I think it's, it's fairly clear if we read fat man there as quiet, comfortable, pros- prosperous man who lives in a peaceful town, that's the primary purpose, right? Um, uh, one fat man who lives within a day's march of foes that would freeze his heart, right? Butterbur is able to be fat and comfortable because he is protected by the Dunedain, right? They keep the Barrow Whites from crawling into town and doing anything unspeakable. And also, as uh, some of you are pointing out, um, there, there are indeed brigands, right? Uh, brigands that are either sent by or uh, uh, sort of come from uh, Saruman uh, to the, um, uh, you know, to this area, right, which are in fact going to attempt to destroy uh, Bree um, uh, later on, right? So, so yeah, I mean, that is um, that's definitely all of those things are sort of in play, right? Um, and Butterbur doesn't have to worry about any of those things, and that's one of the reasons why he's a fat man, right? It's all good. Um, remember also, as far as fatness and comfort are concerned, remember Fatty Bulger, Right, um, he's gonna get set free from the lock holes. Uh, Fredegar Bolger, fatty no longer, um, and he's fatty no longer because he is um, uh, because he's been in prison. Right, he's no longer been comfortable. The uh, the defatifying of Fatty Bolger, right? The transition from Fatty Bolger to Fredegar Bolger is almost a kind of uh, symbol. Right, almost a, 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 a sort of allegory for the Shire itself. Right, remember that fat is an adjective applied not to its inhabitants but to the Shire itself. Right, um, you've lived in this fat little country uh, long enough, uh, as I believe one of the brigands is going to say, one of the one of the thugs. But um, anyway, okay, um, exactly, Mad Violinist. He becomes a resistance leader. 
Fatty Bulger does, right? Uh, and so he, he ceases to be fatty. Nobody, nobody's going to call him fatty anymore, right? Uh, not because he's now, you know, he's moved from being scorned to being respected, but because he's no longer defined by a fat and comfortable existence. Uh, instead, he's now had a hard life of first of uh, participating as a guerrilla resistance leader and then being imprisoned for it, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Whereas WKU, exactly. May uh, 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 Will Whitfoot, right? Flower Dumpling doesn't qualify for may- for mayor until he's fattened up, right? Because he, you know, he's also now lean, right? No longer looking the part of mayor, right? So like they don't want that in in the, the the hobbits don't want a leader with a lean and hungry look, right? Um, he's I mean, and part of that, of course, is just like they're actually, I assume, thinking of Will Whitfoot's health and well-being as well. Um, but but clearly, clearly, it's more about um, uh, the, 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 the association, right, with comfort and things. Um, exactly, Finn. Uh, the hobbits love to see their leader happy and fat. That seems to me exactly uh, exactly right. Okay, anyway, so enough about Fat Man. Um, uh, and like I said, so I don't think I don't I don't think he's angry here. I think he's he's pointing out an example. He's using a general he's he's phrasing it generally enough so that people like Boromir, who don't necessarily have any idea what he's talking about, don't need to know. Right. Um, it's still a good illustration of the kind of scorn that is directed towards the Rangers uh, and of the the sort of the irony. Right. Of like how un, how much they don't appreciate it and yet how close they are to danger. But of course, it's also like an Easter egg. For Frodo, right? Because Frodo knows exactly who he's talking about. And again, Gandalf presumably does as well. Bilbo might also. Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, good, good. Um, Okay. What was the next thing I was going to say? Okay, anyway. um, So let's look at the transition then. That has been the task of my kindred while the years have lengthened and the grass has grown. Notice the tense of the verb in that last sentence. This is very important. That has been the task of my kindred. Right? Uh, What's the tense? Grammar quiz. What tense is the verb in in that sentence? Perfect tense, yes. Which perfect tense? Which perfect tense? Present perfect. Exactly. Perfect tense in English is denoted with the use of the ver- of, of the helping verb have, right? Uh, and indicates it's called perfect from the Latin, meaning that the action is complete, right? But it's a past perfect, present perfect, or future perfect based on the tense of the helping verb, right? Uh, so that has been. All perfect verbs are speaking of a completed action, right? But the tense of the helping verb tells you at what point the action is completed. So past perfect is when you say had been, right? When had, when, that, when, the, when the helping verb to have is in the past tense, right? Um, so if you say, you know, I had been doing that, you mean that, you, that, that not only that that action is in the past, but that the action is completed and it was completed at a point in the past, 
right? A future tense, future tense is my favorite tense, um, because it's really fun. Like, I will, like, when you say something like, um, next month I will have been working here for a year, right? Will have been, right? So that's future perfect, right? In the future, the, this action will be complete, right? Um, the present tense has been, right? The present tense means the action is complete now, right? Has been is really interesting. The, f- the present perfect is really interesting because it's, there's something almost like declarative about it, right? Like now is the moment. I, now, I hereby declare this action complete. It's not exactly necessarily what that tense always means, um, but there's kind of a sense of that, right? Um, so he says, that has been the task of my kindred, while the years have lengthened and the grass has grown, right? Um, that has been the task. Up to this point, that was our task. That task is completed and it's completed now (laughs) as of today that task is completed we are no longer in the business of just protecting the country people around here right we are no longer the secret protectors of the north right we are no longer um uh you know here to guard the peace and freedom right to facilitate peace and freedom in the north you're right, Arden Crayon. The heirs of Isildur are a bunch of has-beens in this case. Absolutely true. Um, exactly, Tony. So what he's saying is that right up until this meeting, this is what I have been doing. Right? This has been true. But that's done. Um, that is a completed action. Um, exactly, Mike, because Isildur's bane has awakened. Right? That has been the task of my kindred. While the years have lengthened and the grass has grown. Right? But now the world is changing. Once again, notice the shift in tense, right? Present progressive. The world is changing. Right now, change is continuing to happen. But now the world is changing once again. A new hour comes. Present tense. A new hour comes. Isildur's bane is found battle is at hand. The sword shall be reforged. Notice how the whole paragraph is kind of gliding from the present into the future. The world is changing once again. This is a thing that is currently happening, but of course it's talking about change from the past into the present and towards the future, right? That's the the topic sentence of that last paragraph is about that change that is hap- that is currently on- ongoing. A new hour comes. Isildur's bane is found. Is found. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say Isildur's bane has been found. Or was found. He could have said was found. That's true. It, it, it was found in the past. Right? It's, something happened a little while back. So he could have said Isildur's bane was found. Or even has been found. It's an action that's completed in the past, right? Or com- or had been found, right? Uh, but uh, but yeah, exactly, Tony. A new hour came, right? When he says Isildur's bane is found, he's declaring that, 
right here. So yeah, Tessa de Boromir, it just happened, right? Again, he is speaking, Aragorn is here speaking of this moment right now. He is, again, he is describing the moment that is being enacted in his speech, right? By his speech, really. A new hour comes. Not will come, not has come. A new hour comes. It's happening right now. Present, just naked present tense right there, right? Um, Isildur's bane is found. Battle is at hand. Now that is, um, um, uh, that's sort of interesting, right? Uh, battle is at hand. That's present tense again, right? But it's talking about the future is at hand. That is, it's, it's using a syntactic structure which points to the future, but it's not actually using a future tense yet, right? Battle is at hand is the kind of transition, right? Because the next two sentences do use the future tense. Shall be. Will come. Right? Is at hand. Right? Battle is. Where is it? It is nearby. Right? It is at hand. It is coming. Isildur's bane is found. Isildur's bane is found. He's not alluding to its discovery by Bilbo, right? He is talking about right here, right now. Um, since in this moment, Isildur's bane is found. And we've been talking, Boromir, about how battle is at hand, right? Doom and great deeds and all that sort of thing, right? Um... Yes, Aranas. He is focused on the present status, not past action. That's a really good way of thinking about that. Um, the present status of the ring. It is found. That's what matters. Right? There it is. Right? Frodo just held it up. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the sword shall be reforged. I will come to Minas Tirith. Um, the last two, of course, are the future things, right? Uh, the two future statements that he is moving towards and ending with. Um, and again, I love how the transitional sentence there is battle is at hand. Grammatically speaking, right? Syntactically speaking, the transitional sentence, where it transitions from present tense to future tense, uh, is there uh, in that battle is at hand sentence, right? Um, A new hour comes, Isildur's bane is at hand. Sorry, Isildur's bane is found, battle is at hand. It's, this is, it's almost like, it's almost like a proof, Right? Um, the sword shall be reforged. Right? Since these statements are true, a new hour comes. Isildur's bane is found. Battle is at hand. A sword, the sword shall be reforged. Ergo, the sword shall be reforged. Right? Because those two things are true, Isildur's bane is found and battle is at hand. Given those 
the sword shall be reforged. That's what we've been waiting for, we heirs of Isildur. Why we haven't reforged it? We had the technology, right? Why have we not reforged it yet? Because it wasn't the hour yet, right? The new hour had not yet come. Um, I think that when he says a new hour comes, it's not really an item in the list uh, so much as it is uh, that is, you know, the world is changing once again. But you could always say that, right? The world's always changing. When is the world not changing, right? The world's always changing, but he says a new hour comes. Remember when we were talking a long time back, well, weeks ago anyway, uh, in response to a question that somebody posted about the ages, right? And like when you determine like when an age ends and stuff, we're kind of talking about that. That sense of, um, that sense of the passage of time being marked by these particular super important moments, right? Like there's just like the, the wise know when an age of the world has come to an end, right? And it, it's not just like a milestone in history, right? Um, you know, in the way that like, you know, World War I is a milestone, you know, in modern history. Like it's not like that exactly, right? Like the entire world is different, not just the, you know, the shape of like the civilization's culture or anything like that, right? We're talking like the air and the light and time itself work differently. Like stuff is just different. Like it's, it's a big deal. When a new hour comes, it's a big deal, right? Aragorn is saying, um, a new, you know, the, the world is changing once again. Let me clarify. A new hour comes, right? Doom and great deeds are at hand, right? We are we are come to the end of an age. A new age is on the horizon. They don't know whether it's going to be a good age or a bad age, right? But anyway, so the, that second sentence, a new hour comes, seems like a kind of clarification on the world is changing once again. It's changing, and let me specify, changing in one of these kinds of ways, right? Um... Then the next two sentences define that. A new hour comes. Prove it, Aragorn. Why do you think a new hour comes? Isildur's bane is found. Battle is at hand. Combine those two things and what do you get? The sword shall be reforged. Because the new hour has come. The hour that the heirs of Elendil have been waiting for all this time. Right? The sword shall be reforged. So the first future tense sentence is the consequence. The, like the logical consequence of the previous two, right? Isildur's bane is found, battle is at hand, and then I will come to Minas Tirith is the last future tense statement, and it is the logical follow-through of the previous one. The sword shall be reforged, thus I will come to Minas Tirith. Um, Keep in mind, remember he asked Boromir before. Would you have the House of Elendil return to Minas Tirith? Right? He asked that. Boromir didn't answer it. Remember? Boromir was like, I've not come to beg any boon. Right? Um, Boromir gave a very um, clever non-answer. Right? To that question. Um, Aragorn's not asking anymore. He's telling him. That is an unequivocal sentence. I will come to Minas Tirith. 
Um, yeah, Nathan says it's a very cool use of tense. It really is. Uh, it seems quite clear that this is a gra- that this gradual shift is intentional. Absolutely agree. The shift from present to, to future, completely, completely. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I will come to Minas Tirith. Before he asked, would you have the House of Elendil return to Minas Tirith? Not because he's asking Boromir's permission, right? Not because he's going to wait for an invitation, necessarily, right? Um, But because he is... um, He wants Boromir to consider the answer to the question, right? Um, uh, But he's coming, whether or no. Whether Boromir would have it or not, he's coming. Um, uh, Yes, uh, I do think, J.J., in some sense, this declaration that he makes here, in retrospect kind of makes his previous question to Boromir sound a little bit more like, will you aid me or thwart me, right, as he's going to be saying to Eamir later on. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Mad Violina says, this feels like the first time Aragorn shows the lordly commanding side of his nature. Um, possibly. Possibly. Um, uh, yeah, he is... Um, Mariel says he's prompting Boromir to consider the full import of the situation, including the epic and the mythic import. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I will come to Minas Tirith. Now, keep in mind that he still hasn't said anything about the kingship. Nothing. It's out on the table now, right? Because uh, Bilbo put it there in his interruption and through his poem. But um, this is not what he says and not what he's talking about, right? He is here stating in a way which I think almost anyone, and certainly Aragorn, hears as a promise, right? I will come to Minas Tirith. That is going to happen, right? Take that to the bank. Um, uh, um, he's promising that he's going to do this. He is. He is. This is a. This is a pledge that anyone would hold you to, right? Um, but he's not saying anything about the kingship. There's no political element to this statement, exactly, right? I mean, that's not exactly what he's saying here at all. Um, he is... Remember the context, what, what he has focused on and what his exchange with Boromir has focused on. He's been talking about the role that Gondor has played in the struggle against Sauron, the role that the Dúnedain have played in the struggle against Sauron. Right? He has talked about the broken sword. And we've talked about the way in which Elendo has been serving as a figure less of royalty, though he is, right? 
um, than he has of sacrifice, of leadership and sacrifice, right? Um, he, in reforging the sword and coming to Minas Tirith, he's not claiming the kingship. He is taking up the mantle of Elendil in the Battle of the Last... He's coming like Elendil, from the north, right, to the Battle of the Last Alliance, like, Elend- like Elendil came from the Battle of the Last Alliance. Um, Gilgon Theory, it is hard not to read in, and I will take the kingship because we've all read the rest of the book. And again, I'm not trying to pretend that Aragorn isn't thinking about the kingship at all, right? That he doesn't want the kingship. Uh, you know, that Peter Jackson got that right. I'm not, I'm not saying it. I'm not saying that at all. That, but what I am saying is that stuff can get sorted out after Sauron's been overthrown, assuming they all survive, right? Um, but assuming that A, we win, and B, we all survive is way too big an assumption right now. And Aragorn is not going there at all. Um, Angrist, exactly. He's talking about joining forces, not controlling Gondor. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it's, again, it's, it's one of the things that I am... Um, I think that a lot of people, and I, I put myself in this category, I think a lot of times when I have read this whole section of the council previously, I tend to hear it in terms of the return, like through the lens of the Return of the King plot, right? Thinking about Boromir and Aragorn and the, the revelation of Aragorn and the whole, you know, I'm going to be, you know, the king of Minas Tirith when I get there and everything. Um, it's real easy to be remembering that, especially when you've read the book many times, um, but that is that you know, looking carefully at what Aragorn himself is saying, he doesn't point even vaguely in that direction, right? He, I think, he's really not focused on that at all. Um, yes, Aranas, he will attempt to deliver Minas Tirith from its peril, even if it costs him his life, because that's what good kings do. Absolutely, he's going to act like their king first. The coronation, the politics can come later, right? And of course. If we're going to remember ahead to the return of the king, we might as well go whole hog with that, right? Aragorn is going to follow through on this pledge to come to Minas Tirith in an extremely dramatic way, right? When Aragorn finally completes this pledge, it is going to be a catastrophe, right? He is going to come to Minas Tirith in the middle of the battle as, you know, the 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 rescue unlooked for and uh, uh, unimagined right from apparent disaster so um, again thinking back to or thinking forward to his arrival you know in the middle of the battle of Pelennor Field um, his question to Boromir before this right um, would you have the house of Elendil return to Minas Tirith you know one one is tempted to add say yes boromir trust me you want it to come right you don't try to keep it away um yeah yeah um uh yeah good good um uh no rowan i'm not that's just peeking i'm just peeking ahead i'm not discussing future passages i'm just saying we can appreciate the awesomeness in retrospect that these passages that we look at are going to have because we're not going to have time to come back and talk about them again after we get there. So that's all. That's all. Uh, yeah, Tessa, I, I, I said that by accident, but after saying it by accident, I agree with you and I'm going to embrace it. 
the phrase remembering ahead uh, to, uh, uh, to, to, to the rest of the book. I, I like that. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, good. Um, so, yeah, I will come to Minas Tirith. Back to something that Fourth Dauntless mentioned earlier on. Um, I, I agree that this begins to sound like a moment of foresight by Aragorn, right? Um, that like a foretelling is coming upon him here, right? Um, I will come to Minas Tirith. Again, notice he doesn't say, I promise to come to Minas Tirith, or I, I'm, I'm fixing to come to Minas Tirith, as he might say if he were from Texas, or, uh, you know, I, um, um, I, you know, um, my plans, uh, you know, the, the projected route calls for my approach to Minas Tirith. He's saying, I will come to Minas Tirith. That is a thing that is going to happen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an, a, a future indicative statement about that. Right. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah, no, and you're absolutely right, you know, Matt, and as a couple, and, and connected to things other people were saying as well. Um, Tony, I think you were sort of, of course, pointing out how he doesn't enter the city of Minas Tirith when he comes. We will see him continue to avoid politics, right, um, after he gets there. So, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, that's, that's certainly, that that's certainly true. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. He does not say, it is my stated intention to come to Minas Tirith. Um, he says, I will come to Minas Tirith. A future indicative sentence is a prediction, right? I mean, like by definition, you can't use the future tense indicative mood without making a prediction, you know? Um, uh, that's what that tense in mood is. It's like saying you, you know, to say that is the same thing as you can't use, saying you can't use the present imperative without giving a command, right? It's what it is, right? Um, uh, so anytime you say, I will come to Minas Tirith, um, you are, uh, you're, you're making, you're, so whether or not he's in the grip of a foretelling here exactly I, you know I don't know precisely but um, yeah yeah um, yeah y- Johannes I wonder Johannes uh, says did he decide right now uh, it sounds a bit like he came to that decision at the end of his speech yeah yeah no I, I-, I agree I agree um, that unqualified future indicative statement that he makes there at the end he clearly built up to that. Did he have that sentence in mind when he started talking? Was he planning to end his statement with that? I, I, I don't think so. That is one of the... This last paragraph is really good rhetoric. Uh, I agree with that. But it also, to me, sounds a little bit spontaneous for that reason. Um, that even the shortness of the sentences... Right. The way that he's laying it out, I think he is making he is making clear to everybody what he sees. But this sounds to me like something that he's also working out in the moment. Right. A new hour comes. Isildur's bane is found. Battle is at hand. The sword shall be reforged. I will come to Minas Tirith. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. All paratactic. Agreed. Um, so, Nathan, do I think Boromir's poem stirs him to this decision? Yes. Or rather, I guess the way that I would say it is I think that Boromir's poem, um, you know, the message of the dream confirms for him, right? If he had any doubts whether or not a new hour had come, whether or not um, the moment that his line has waited for for generations had arrived, any doubt he had about that has been removed, by the by the by the, the the poem by by the dream by the dream message, right? Um, that a lord of Gondor, that the the heir of the steward of Gondor, right? The captain general of the armies of Gondor has come into the north because he was told in a prophetic dream to seek the sword that was broken. Aragorn knows how to read that, right? Um. And I think he's been sort of, I think he's been pretty clear about that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly, Flammifer. This statement is why Aragorn is so torn when deciding whether to go forward, whether to go with Frodo towards Mordor or to go to Minas Tirith. Yes, uh, really good point, Mark. We all have to remember, remember this moment. Remember this paragraph when we get to Parthgalim. Um one of the things I am really looking forward to, I'm really looking forward to doing uh, an exploring Lord of the Rings analysis of the debate at Parthgalen, uh, because it's one of the things that I feel like I've never really uh, totally understood. Um, uh, so anyway, I, I'm, I'm really excited to work through that really carefully together. Um, but I, I, Mark is absolutely correct that we must remember this moment because that that this sentence "I will come to Minas Tirith" is definitely weighing on Aragorn in that moment. Definitely weighing on him. Um, yeah, we we may have to schedule a, a reenactment. Let's reenact the debate at Parthgalen. Yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's see. Um, yeah, Tony says, I wonder if he feels that the message of Boromir's dream was also meant for him from whom, from whoever sent it. Absolutely. I think absolutely yes. Um, uh, I'm not saying that he necessarily thinks that the dream was like an envelope with his name on it, right? Like this was just like a personal missive to him. I, I don't think that he would think that, but absolutely he is the target of them. He is uh, one of the targets. Of the- Others need to hear it too, right? Uh, like, for instance, folks in Gondor needed to hear it. Um, but, yes, it was totally meant for him. Notice how even that is being echoed in this paragraph. Isildur's bane is found, right? For Isildur's bane for awake- shall awaken and the halfling forth shall stand. He's like, that just happened. I mean, I, I almost imagine him gesturing towards Frodo holding the ring, right? When, um, when he says that Isildur's bane is found, ta-da, the halfling, right? Isildur's bane, that the poem just came true, right? A new hour, hence a new hour comes, right? Battle is at hand. The sword shall be reforged. I will come to Minas Tirith. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Good, good. Um, so, 
<laughs> okay. Um, yes, and for Dauntless, uh, we are going to be told later on that he viewed it as a summons. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that that seems explicit uh, here. That he knows he can give Boromir the answer to what those hard words mean, right? Um, uh, and it's definitely... Um, it's not that he is the answer, exactly, or not entirely, right? The answer is the reforging of the sword, right? They're supposed to seek for the sword that was broken because the sword shall be reforged. It is the, it is the, the, the directive that it shall be reforged, because in the north the heirs of Elendil have always said that it would be reforged when Isildur's bane was found. Well, Isildur's bane is found... The sword shall be reforged, that sword that your vision sent us to. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Um, do I think Aragorn has himself had a kind of eye-opener? Right? Do I think that Aragorn is realizing this for the first time? No. No. I think that he's known what this has meant ever since talking with Gandalf a while back, right? When Gandalf opens his heart to him about the ring um, and he learns about this and starts protecting the Shire. Um, I think that he's been thinking, right? Remember he, I say, remembering ahead again, um, I, in the tale of Aragorn and Arwen in Appendix A, they know that the hour is coming. The new hour, right, is coming. So yeah, Tony, it is much more of a um, of a confirmation. It is much more of a confirmation. But by that, I don't only mean a confirmation in the sense of like for his sake to like prevent his doubt, right? Because I don't think he needs that here. Um, you know, he's not standing there saying. Well, I was about 85% sure that it was time to reforge the sword, but I'm, I'm, I'm really glad, Boromir, you quoted that poem because now I'm like 100% sure, right? Um, I, again, I don't think, when I talk about confirmation, I, I don't necessarily mean like confirmation of his convictions. It is a public declaration. Remember, the poem itself speaks of the counsels that will be taken, the, 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 the token that will be shown that doom is near at hand, right? Um, there will be a public enactment of the moment, right? The coming of the hour. Um, that is the thing that is predicted and pointed to within Boromir's poem. And Aragorn is saying, it just happened. Isildur's bane is found, present tense, here and now, this is the moment, that was the token, or that is the token, sitting right there, right, with the halfling still holding it. Um, uh, these are the councils. Exactly, Matt. Less confirmation than his cue. Yeah, so, some, something like that. Something like that. Um, yeah, so Nathan and uh, Marielle, I do agree that... Um, uh, the uh, Faramir is the one to whom the dream was sent. You know, the the brother whose name we don't even yet know in this part of the text. Um, 
just based on what Boromir has told us, that it came to his brother many times and once to him, already kind of implies that the brother was the one that was being communicated with, right? That the brother was the, you know, but we don't know enough about the brother to be able to conclude anything about the appropriateness or inappropriateness of Boromir's being here. We really have to save that discussion until we learn more about it. Um, but it's clear that the royal house of Gondor, like the house of the stewards, right, is is the premier preliminary target audience, right, of this message, right? But this room is the other one, right? Um, Boromir has come to the council, and as he just said, I've not come here to beg any boon, but only to seek the meaning of hard words, right? Um, not only is he going to receive, to, to have the explanation of that poem explained to him, you know, given to him, at this council, everyone in the room is going to see, as Aragorn is pointing out, that the hard words themselves have been fulfilled in um, in this moment, in the, like, on this day, right? So, Marielle, then thinking about the target audience, then so in a in an in a in a different sense, right? In another sense. The target audience, in one sense, of course, is the House of the Stewards. But in another sense, the target audience was everybody here at the Council of Elrond, right? Um, it is going to be... This poem itself is going to be one of the tokens that will be displayed, right? It's going to uh, trigger the councils that are going to be taken that will be stronger than Morgul spells. Um... Uh, Yes, Nelson, the reference to my brother was inserted back into the narrative after Tolkien discovered Faramir while writing the Two Towers. Yes, absolutely. In the original, Faramir did not exist and the message was just to Boromir, yes. Good, good. Um, yes. Tony, I, I am also curious to think about what Frodo is thinking. Uh, it is true that the f uh, poem is talking about him. Um, notice... Um, Frodo, who is presumably the narrator of this scene, right, um, of the you know of this passage of text, notice how distant this is from Frodo's perspective. We 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 got back inside Frodo's head briefly when, in that moment of uh, excitement and uncertainty, when he like you know right before, you know when he jumped up and. Uh, talked about the ring belonging to Strider and all of that stuff, but we get very little of Frodo's point of view throughout the vast majority of this council, and that's an interesting choice. Um, and, um, yeah, it's an interesting choice. And the more interesting because we don't see Tolkien making that choice very frequently. Um, uh, you know, a pattern that Mike Drought has pointed to very compellingly. Uh, Tolkien tends to narrate things from the point of view of the character who knows least. Uh, that is very, uh, uh, very common, right? A very common approach within his narrative. C contrast this, for instance, that is the Council of Elrond, the whole chapter, with uh, the chapter when uh, Pippin and Gandalf go before Denethor in The Return of the King, Right? That's told from Pippin's standpoint, 
and we get some third-person narration, just reporting of conversation that's happening there. But we also get a lot of rah, 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 like as a bunch of places where the narrative is like, and then they talked about other things for a while and whatever. It was pretty boring. And right? I mean, we 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 don't get anything like the council event. We don't get anything like you know fifty pages of um, you know this kind of this kind of narration. It only skips the bits that are really not relevant to the story, right? Um, yeah, 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 Tony, you're right. We very rarely get a truly omniscient narrator. Uh, in uh, in the Lord of the Rings, um, uh, yeah, uh, Angrist is wondering: Could this be uh, Findegil King's writer uh, engaging in a touch of historical revisionism? Um, yeah, did Findegil King's writer go back and clean up Aragorn's and Boromir's speeches to make them more polished? Can't rule that out. That kind of thing happens all the time. Um, I don't see any a priori reason to suspect the hand of Findigo King's writer. My general policy is that I need a reason. I need a reason. Um, or to put it another way, when we're playing the narrator game, like, which whose voice are we hearing, right? Who's, uh, who's, who's, who, whose pen was at work in this particular sentence or paragraph? Um, my general rule of thumb is fro- it's, like, it's Frodo un- until it isn't. Right, it's Frodo. Unless I have a reason to suspect otherwise, if I don't have a reason to suspect otherwise, for me it's Frodo. Right, um, and there are places where we have reasons to suspect Sam, as we've looked at. Uh, in particular, I-, I think a classic example: the the the, the passage that we attributed to Findegill's uh, King's Writer, um, which I am most um, convinced by. Right, which I mo- feel most confident in is that passage about Arwen uh, at the feast. Right, um, th- uh, that what sounds like an interpolated paragraph because it was an interpolated paragraph later on. Uh, anyway, what sounds like an interpolated paragraph and is all like formal talking about Arwen and giving her, you know, which sounds completely like okay, the queen wasn't given enough uh, airtime here. Um, anyway, I. I, uh, um, there were reasons there. There's a shift in rhetoric there. There's this like separate, uh, kind of sidebar paragraph describing her, right? Which doesn't really flow with the rest of it. Um, there were reasons, right? And so therefore I said, but I don't see a reason here, um, to suspect that. That is, I, I don't think it's, it doesn't seem to me. When I say I need a reason, what I mean is I need something that needs explaining, right? I'm only going to go there for myself. I'm only going to go there if something in the text requires that as an explanation. If without that explanation, the text makes less sense, right? For me, it was the tonal shift as we were looking at those paragraphs for that Arwen description, Right, there was a, a sort of a strange shift in tone there, and this kind of lingering on Arwen and her effect, which was a little bit odd. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, good. Um, 
Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I mean, Brick Tales, I totally agree with you that Aragorn declaring he will come to Minas Tirith is a huge moment, uh, and certainly the sort of thing that Findegil uh, would be focused on and would pay attention to. Totally agree with that. But that's not a reason, right? Um, and what, again, when I say a reason, I mean something in the text itself that requires an explanation and which an interpolation by Findigo King's writer would serve to explain, essentially. That's what I mean. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it seems to me much more likely... No, Findigo didn't write all the things that Tolkien stuck in at the last minute. Um, uh, they don't all sound like that. Uh, and there are other things that he stuck in at the last minute that we have not attributed to Findigo King's writer. Um, uh, it's just that all the Arwen stuff was stuck in at the last minute, and so some of that are some of those are definitely going to be candidates. Um, but um, anyway, yeah, I um, so so yeah, I mean, I, I I think this is Frodo until proven otherwise, and I don't see. To me, the mere fact that Boromir and Aragorn are speaking in fancy rhetoric is not... I don't disbelieve that of either of them. Um, Could Frodo have been sort of making their rhetoric... Are these the exact words that they used? Like, is he writing this like... No, there was no recording, right? There's no... There's no... um, uh, I mean... Is he going to remember the entire Council of Elrond word for word more than a year later? No, he's not going to. Um, I mean, this is like, in that sense, some of this would be made up, right? These aren't going to be the exact words that they were using. But, so when he gives Boromir's speech, right, he probably remembers some of it, right? Um, I would certainly be willing to believe that Boromir absolutely said, give me leave, Master Elrond, right? Um, I bet Frodo would certainly remember that. Um, uh, but um, anyway, and yet might they have taken notes right away? Sure, they could conceivably have done so. But anyway, my point is, uh, the idea that the rhetoric might have been cleaned up or something, but I don't think it's true. Here's, here's, here's the point that I'm trying to make. The point that I'm trying to make is, I don't think it is appropriate for us to imagine that Boromir and Aragorn did not actually speak anything like this well, right? But that Frodo and or Findigil went back after the fact and cleaned it up to make it sound much more impressive. Rather, I think that Frodo is recalling perfectly clearly that both Boromir and Aragorn not only spoke well, but spoke well in a particular mode, right? And will remember some of the things that they said. Um, And is trying to capture the style of their speech as well and the significance of the moment. So, yeah, that I think is uh, uh, is uh, very likely what is happening. But again, I, I don't think we can sort of discount the rhetoric because, you know, it's reported after the fact or whatever. Um, uh, but yeah, no, absolutely, Marielle, you are certainly right. People did speak, at least this well, extemporaneously in public. Um, That was an important skill, and people practiced it. Uh, And people like Aragorn and Boromir would have done, right? They would have practiced it, and they would be able to do that. Um, But um, anyway, 
Let us shoot for more than two lines of text in today's class. How about that? So I thought I would cheat and uh, have a really short slide to follow this up. Um, Isildur's bane is found, you say, said Boromir. I have seen a bright ring in the halfling's hand, but Isildur perished ere this age of the world began, they say. How do the wise know that this ring is his? And how has it passed down the years until it is brought hither by so strange a messenger? That shall be told, said Elrond. Um, okay. Um, Isildur's bane is found, you say. I have seen a bright ring in the halfling's hand, but Isildur perished ere this age of the world began, they say. Um, I can't help but focus on the tenses, since we've just been talking about that here, right? He, um repeats Aragorn's statement. Isildur's bane is found. Present tense and all. Right? Isildur's bane is found. You say. Present tense. I have seen... Present perfect tense. Right? I've just now... So like, Here's the thing which has definitely been accomplished just now. Me seeing a bright ring in the halfling's hand. Right? But Isildur perished... Past tense. Right? Ere this age of the world began they say. Present tense. Okay. Um, <laughs> how do the wise know that this ring is his? And how has it passed down the years until it is brought hither by so strange a messenger? Um, okay. Yeah, JJ says Elrond is finally finding a chance to take back his meeting. Right, that shall be told. That is the next item on the agenda. It's funny you should mention that, Boromir, because that is the next item on the agenda. And uh, Mark, I agree. It is almost like uh, uh, Boromir has done Elrond a solid here, right, and offered him a segue back into the agenda, which he himself, Boromir, disrupted in the first place. Um, but um, okay, but let's focus on Boromir's statement here. Um, how challenging do we think this statement is? Um, ah, good. Cecilia was saying, um, I, I, I wondered why I always had the impression that Frodo hid the ring away again as soon as it was seen by all. The text doesn't say that he does. He just held it up, and then we get speech-making after that. Uh, Cecilia adds, Now I understand why I've always thought this. It's the have-seen, spoken by Boromir. Yeah, I have seen. That implies he's not currently seeing it. He doesn't say, I see a bright ring in the halfling's hand. Right? Frodo has put it away by the time Boromir says this, or else he wouldn't be using the perfect tense. Um, yeah, good. Um, how skeptical? How, I mean, we, we you could do this in a, a scathing tone, right? Um, he could sound really skeptical and dubious here. I mean, you could even lay some sarcasm on the on the word wise, right? How do the wise know that this ring is his? 
right? I'm not saying that he's using that tone, but again, his... Uh, there are a lot of different ways we could go with this paragraph. And I'm wondering in the context of everything we've read, what seems to be the most reasonable. Um, first of all, we have to acknowledge that Boromir's, as we've acknowledged, you know, Marielle, I'm remembering the point that you made a couple weeks back. Um, his question is a very reasonable one, right? How do we know, how does the wise know, how do the wise know that this ring is his, right? Um, Isildur's bane is found, so Boromir is saying, hang on, from the future declarations, let's go back to one of those earlier statements. Isildur's bane is found. Notice that Boromir is here acknowledging, like, Boromir was hearing that paragraph the same way that we were, almost like a proof, right? These present statements are true, and since these present tra- statements are true, therefore the sword shall be reforged, I shall come to Minas Tirith, right? Here's Boromir saying, hang on, hang on, time out. Um, Isildur's bane is found. What are the proofs? I've seen a bright ring in the halfling's hand, but Isildur perished at this age of the world began, they say. Right? So, like, Isildur had the, the, the rings. Notice he's not challenging anything that was said before. Right? He's not saying that Isildur didn't keep the ring. Right? He's not challenging that the sword is the sword of Elendil. He's not challenging that Aragorn is the heir of Elendil. He's not challenging anything. He's saying, okay, you've told us that Isildur had the ring. We, you told us that Isildur lost the ring. You've told us that that ring, that one right there, that this halfling has, was that ring, was Isildur's bane. Now, yes, Boromir's own poem seems to present evidence to support this, right? It's not like it's coming from absolutely nowhere, because if Boromir is willing to listen to his own poem at all, it suggests that pretty clearly, right? But to say, how has it passed down the years until it is brought hither by so strange a messenger does not seem an unreasonable question at all. Right? Um, uh, Yeah, okay. Rowan and I forgot somebody else was also talking about this and I forgot who it was. Uh, His use of his. Um, How do the wise know that this ring is his? That this ring is Isildur's ring, right? (laughs) How do we know that this is Isildur's bane? It could be anybody's bane, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. JJ, that's that's an excellent illustration, JJ. JJ is remembering uh, Edmund Pevensey in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe saying, but how do we know? Right? Um, yes. I also do not hear Boromir in that tone. Right? Um, Edmund, in that moment in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, 
is deliberately trying to steer things away. He does not want the flow of things to go in the direction they're going. He is trying to reroute them, right? Um, he is being actively resistant. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think, well, grammatically speaking, Bruce, the his refers back to Isildur. It can't refer to the enemy because, again, syntactically speaking, in that case, there is no antecedent in sight, right? Uh, I mean, the he could be Sauron, but Sauron would have to have, in order to use a pronoun, right, to refer back to him, he, he's not been, when was the last time Sauron was mentioned? I mean, mentioned, like, the noun, like enemy or Sauron, anything was used. It was a long time ago, right? Not in this paragraph, certainly, nor in the paragraphs that came before. Um, syntactically speaking, the antecedent of his is clearly Isildur. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, the question of whose the ring really is is, of course, a loaded question, as we're going to learn. Um, now, good. Johannes, that is, I think, a really important piece of evidence here. Um, the adjective bright. Excellent. Arnos has counted. It's been four paragraphs since enemy or Sauron was used. Um, yeah, it cannot be. That pronoun cannot be by any stretch referring back to that. He must, he, Boromir must intend that pronoun to refer to Isildur, clearly. Um, um, <laughs> in book time or in exploring the Lord of the Rings time. Yeah, no one has mentioned Sauron in like four weeks. Uh, Bruce. Yeah, it's been like a month since anyone talked about Sauron. Um, anyway, um, he, he, that it's 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 very clear grammatically that Isildur is the antecedent of that pronoun. Um, but Johannes and someone else was mentioning this was was mentioning this as well earlier on. Um, bright is a really important word here. Um, if we're trying to gauge Boromir's tone, if we're trying to gauge Boromir's intention, there are very few. There are very few words or phrases that I see in this paragraph that give us. Most of it's fairly neutral. Fairly neutral. Um. Bright is one of those things that stands out in this way. <laughs> Art and Grand says, not all that glitters is an accursed ancient artifact of enormous evil power. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes, yes. Um, a bright ring. The fact that he attaches an adjective... describing the attractiveness of the ring, right? Bright ring seems like a little bit of a tell, right? Boromir admired that ring. That ring looked really nice to Boromir. It's a small thing, right? It's much smaller than the previous sentence we were focusing on, that uh, uh, the, uh, the gooder... Uh, as he gazed at the golden thing, remember? The glitter in his eyes. Uh, or the gleam in his eyes as he gazed at the golden thing. Um, uh, that was a bigger tell, right? 
this is a small tell, but I, I do think it's a tell, right? Boromir was looking with admiration at the ring. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. He, he, he thought it was precious. He didn't call it precious. That would be a much bigger tell, right? Um, but he admired it. Boromir admired the ring. And JJ, I absolutely believe that Boromir does not realize that he's doing it. Um, I, I absolutely agree that this is a, a sort of an accidental tell by, um, uh, by Boromir here. Um, and a very, very subtle one. Um, almost like a Freudian slip. Yeah, almost. Almost. Um, but does it tell us does it tell us much? I mean, it'll be important later, right? We have evidence now we have now at least two pieces of evidence that Boromir has been affected by the ring right away. Um, that Boromir's admiration and uh, desire for the ring um, is... Uh, is awake, right? Um, I see, right? Angrist and WKU are both thinking about um, that it's the brightness of the ring does have some evidentiary value, right? In the sense that uh, a 3,000-year-old ring, a ring which... Uh, was lost ere this age of the world began, uh, as Van Helsing might put it, um, would not look so, right? Uh, most rings, right, which were which perished, ere, which which were lost ere this age of the world began, would not look so. Um, uh, so right that it that one of the things that he could be implying here is that that ring didn't look that old to me. Right? Uh, are we sure? You're, are I mean, you're you're positive, right? That that ring, that's a three thousand plus year old ring. Now I know it's gold. One of the reasons gold has always been precious is that it doesn't tarnish exactly. Um, uh, uh, exactly. If it were handled often, it would not tarnish exactly. Um, yeah. So it's possible that he's saying. You know, that that is a ring that's aged well. But I, I tend to think that the bright ring is something that he says without even thinking about it. I don't think that he's thinking that it looked, um, uh, I don't know, looked pretty new to me. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Yeah, good. Um, yes, Flamifer, I do believe that Boromir's desire for the ring, in as much as we are, ta- I, you know, I'm taking these two passages, those two, this plus the other, the 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 uh, glinting as he looked at the golden thing, um, uh, as um, uh, evidence of his desire. And that is ring-induced, yes. I would take that as being ring-induced. Um, because 
he would not necessarily have any inkling that the ring could be used as a weapon against Sauron. Probably not, Mark, though I'm not 100% sure of that, because we don't know, we know that he has heard of the Ring of Power. Remember, his Isildur took it, right? That is news indeed. Um, and remember our speculations at the time, that, like, has there been scholarly discussion in Gondor about that? Has, has somebody in the last 30, 40 years raised the question, hey, um, didn't the enemy of old have a ring of power, right? Mightn't that be awful handy, right? That would be a potent weapon, right? Anybody know what happened to that thing? Right? And people being like, nah, we have no idea. Nobody has any idea, right? And so Boromir's like, Isildur took it. Oh, that's what came of it. Right? What I'm saying is, how much do they remember of the Ring of Power? Um, it's possible. I wouldn't rule it out that, again, he's clearly heard stories about it, right? He knows something about the Ring of Power. Something is remembered in Gondor about the enemy's ring. Um... And so it may very well be that his very first thought is, yeah, man, I could use that thing to help save Minas Tirith. Um, even possibly, um, even possibly, this is the reason I was sent here, right? I don't know why I've been sent up into the north. Maybe that's the reason right there. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, Matt, I agree. There probably were some Gondorian grad students whose thesis has just died. Whose thesis just died the moment the One Ring's location ceased to be a topic of speculation and theory. Yeah. In the general celebration in Minas Tirith after the war, there were probably a very small number, small isolated number of deeply embittered people drinking themselves into a stupor. Yeah, probably so. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Zephan will get to that. Uh, the so strange a messenger thing. As I said that most of this paragraph sounds neutral. Um, that is, is consistent with a neutral inquiry of um, can I, can, can, you know, but if, I mean, one way to paraphrase this paragraph would be citation needed, right? Can I, can I please see what the proofs are, uh, that this is in fact a Silder's Bane? Um, and, um, uh, anyway, yeah, uh, So strange a messenger is one of the other non-neutral phrases in this paragraph, right? Bright ring is one. Um, I do not say that... um, I do not say that you say necessarily is. Okay, so that is... It's possible to read a lot of snark in that very first phrase. Isildur's bane is found, you say. Right? I don't necessarily think that that's inescapable. I don't think the fact that he says you say proves that he's coming back to Aragorn with snark, that he's challenging Aragorn. Right? Isildur's bane is found, you say. That can be said perfectly. That is, he's coming back to one of his premises. Right? 
He's not resisting the conclusion. He's not challenging anything. And he's not questioning anything that Aragorn has said, except he's saying, let's, um, let's come back to one of your premises. Okay. Isildur's bane is found, you say. I've seen a bright ring in the halfling's hand, but Isildur lost the ring a long time ago. They say, not you say, they say, right? Um, how do the wise know that this ring is his? You know, I have to say, if anything, Boromir sounds like he's being pretty diplomatic. Note the shift from you say to they say to the wise. Think about how this paragraph would sound different if he just used you all the way through. Isildur's bane is found, you say. I have seen a bright ring in the halfling's hand, but Isildur perished ere this age of the world began, you say. How do you know that this ring is his? See how much more aggressive that sounds? Right? But that's not what Boromir says. He shifts from you say to they say. You just said this sentence. We all heard you. Right? You just said this sentence. Right? They, vaguely, historians, Elrond, other folks, right? It is said that Isildur perished ere this age of the world began. Not coming at you with that one. Right? How do the wise know... This is almost as if, like, he and Aragorn are together seeking counsel from the wise, right? Um, uh, that seems to me almost like an attempt not to sound like he's challenging Aragorn personally, right? Um, and, of course, it's only injustice as well, because it's not Aragorn's claim that that ring is Isildur's bane, right? It was Elrond who introduced him. It was Gandalf who says, bring forth the ring, Frodo, right? Um, uh, Boy, Matt, that's a really good question. Are Elrond and Gandalf the only ones here publicly acknowledged as being among the capital W-Ys? Matt, I don't think I know the answer to the question, who counts as among the capital W? Within the world of the Lord of the Rings, within the published text of the Lord of the Rings, who's got a membership card, right? Who exactly has a membership card to the capital W-Ys? I don't know. The text never comes anything like saying that. Right. There are a few things that seem pretty safe. Right. Going to go out on a limb and say Elrond is is one of them. Right. Gandalf, too. Saruman. Galadriel. Right. Zach says Celeborn is an honorary membership. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, I <laughs> belongs mom. Probably not Butterbur. Probably not. Um, uh, Kierden, I'm guessing. Probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> JJ says that Celeborn is Galadriel's plus one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, but again, like, we don't... I, I, I'm not asking us to guess. I'm saying the text never says. Never says. I'm not saying Tolkien never thought about it and talked about it at any point in any of his later writings. What I'm saying is, within the published text of The Lord of the Rings, it is extremely vague who the wise are. 
Um, even Gandalf speaks of the wise as if he's speaking in the third person. Um, sorry, Tekelvik, you're right. We should stop mocking Caliborn. He's just such an easy mark, you know? I, I like to tease Caliborn. I, 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 but I'm, I always feel bad about myself when I make fun of Caliborn. It's just like, I can't help it. Um, but I, I should, I should, I should try to do better. <laughs> I should. <laughs> um, but, um, but again, the question is not who's wise. It's not about who is wise. It's not like, you know, people whose wisdom score is above a certain level get in the club, right? I mean, the wise, capital W, that's, there's clearly, there's a, there's a, um, uh, it is like the Caliborn pinata. I've got my own pinata and it's so much more feeble. See, Matt, like beating on Fanor like a pinata is like a respectable thing, right? You know, the prancing pony guys, you know. Uh, but you know, with with me, it's just like mean spirited, like you know, beating the Caliborn pinata. Um, but uh, anyway, um, Amethorn <laughs> says Caliborn can take it. He's been hearing it for thousands of years. Agreed, agreed. Um, I, but yeah, uh, I, the capital W wise. It sounds like you need a membership card, right? I mean, not literally, but like that. There's a group of, is it, and is it the same as the White Council? Maybe it is the same as the White Council. I don't know. Um, um, <laughs> Karita says, I think if you're asking who are numbered among the wise, it's a safe bet. You're not one of them. Uh, so everyone is afraid to ask. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, agreed. Agreed. Um, but, but Gandalf himself refers to the wise, capital W. And I think he's one of them. He's definitely on the White Council. Um, <laughs> but there's a bicentennial newsletter. The point is, I think, um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the same thing as the White Council. That is, like, by definition. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think it's vague on purpose. I really do. Is absolutely overlap between the wise and the white council, but I think that that's a, um, I think it's a deliberately vague catch-all term. Um, uh, that is used. It's like the they he just used. They say, right? Um, yeah, Mike, that's a really interesting parallel. Uh, Mike is paralleling it to uh, a, a figure of speech like the powers that be, right? You don't, like, there isn't a a clubhouse and a, a meeting schedule, right, for the powers that be. Um, yeah, Maelstrom, that's exactly what I was thinking. That it's, it's just sort of, it's another way of saying they, right? Except you're not just saying, it's not just rumor that you're pointing to. You're, by saying the wise, you're talking about lore masters generally, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. Fourth Dauntless is wondering, is there any reason to suspect that Boromir means something different than Gandalf does when he says it? Yeah, you know, I, um, uh, I think that they very well might 
or at least are using it in a different way. When Boromir says, how do the wise know? That certainly doesn't mean his version of the wise, right? Like the Gondorian wise. Um, when he says, how do the wise know? I think he's referring to like folks in the room and the elven wise. That phrase is used at least once, isn't it? The elven wise. Can somebody look that up for me? Where is that used? The elven wise. If I think for long enough, I can probably come up with it. The elven wise. Thank you, JJ. The elves may fear the Dark Lord and they may fly before him, but never again will they listen to him or serve him. And here in Rivendell there live still some of his chief foes, the elven wise, lords of the Eldar. Okay, good, good. Um, so later on in this chapter is when it comes in. Right on, right on. Um, good, yes, and also remembering immortal maiden elven wise in the poem. Yes, good, good. Um, Yes, I think it was the other. I think it was JJ's passage, the one later on in this chapter that I was remembering. But yes, of course, immortal, immortal maiden, elven wise. Yes, um, and the reason that I was thinking of the one that JJ was quoting rather than the poem one is that the poem one is an adjective, immortal maiden, elven wise. Um, the reason I was thinking of that elven wise phrase is because of the use of it as a noun with. Um, um, uh, oh, sorry, it's earlier, from when Frodo wakes up. My apologies. Look at that, here I am all over the place. Yes, yes. Um, right, you are safe at the present until all else is conquered. Yeah, right, right, right. Good. Um, but um, uh, anyway, elven-wise is an adjective used to describe Luthien, right? She's an immortal maiden elven-wise, whereas in that phrase, Gandalf says, the elven-wise, Right. Um, there live here some of his chief foes, the elven wise, lords of the Eldar from beyond the furthest seas. Um, I think that that phrase, the elven wise, lords of the Eldar from beyond the furthest seas, has always influenced my interpretation of that phrase, the wise. Um, yeah, good. Uh, Musical is pointing out that it's used to describe Aragorn as well as an adjective. Um, uh, thus he became the most hardy of living men, skilled in their crafts and lore, and was yet more than they, for he was elven wise, and there was a light in his eyes that uh, th that when they were kindled, few could endure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, elven wise. He's elven wise like Luthien was elven wise, right? Adjective form. That's from, from Appendix A, of course. Um, right, good, good. Um, anyway, okay. So what's our verdict on uh, Boromir? Okay, well, let's come back to the strange messenger, Nathan. Thanks for reminding me of that. Um, until it was brought, until it is brought hither by so strange a messenger, why does Boromir say that in that way? And what did, and does that give us any insight into his tone in this paragraph? Um, exactly, Flammifer. The elven wise are those who spend most of their time singing tra la la la. Completely agree completely agree. Okay. Um, 
so Neofen was saying that Strange Messenger doesn't strike him as condescending so much, but like Boromir uh, is described, but like Boromir is describing his wonder. Yeah, there's no two ways about it. The messenger was strange. Certainly strange to Boromir, right? Um, yeah, a reference to the unfamiliarity of hobbits. The dude has never seen a hobbit before in his life, right? Um, he could be forgiven for finding it strange that not only are there these funny little people right in the room right now, but also that, like, Isildur's Bane has got, like... Remember how he described the poem, hard words, right? He didn't understand the poem. So, yeah, he's known the halfling fourth shall stand, but he didn't know what a halfling was, right? I mean, what does that word even mean? Why would he know that? How would he know that? They've kind of vaguely heard of hobbits in Rohan, but Boromir does not share the linguistic uh, and literary history of the Rohirrim that leads them to know something about... uh, uh, the halfling folk that make their homes in sand dunes, right? Um, that's not uh, uh, part of Boromir's culture. So it is unlikely that he could even parse the word. Um, halfling, right? Like what, what... And the halfling forth shall stand probably was a complete mystery to him, that line was a complete mystery to him. Not only its relevance, not only its greater significance, but even its denotation, right? Um, Yeah. And so, Enoch, I I agree with you. Um, So strange a messenger could basically mean not the person who uh, who would have expected to have the ring of power. Exactly. Now, Rowan, you're right that he's never seen an elf either. Uh, Probably not. Um, But, um... uh, but he wouldn't consider that strange. That would fit, right? Had the ring been brought to the council by an elf lord, well, that would strike exactly the kind of mythic tone that he might have expected, right? From, like, the revelation of the ring of power, Isildur's bane, right? Behold Isildur's bane. And we look over in there, and, like, Glorfindel's like, ta-da, right? I mean, that would be something, right? But, like, that the funny little guy that Boromir's been trying not to stare at comes out and holds it up, and he's like, oh, okay. Didn't see that coming. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, Mario, you're right. Frodo has to look like a kid to him. We will see people in Gondor uh, assuming that halflings are children, right? Um, and in Rohan as well, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, right. Flamifer thinks this is a bit of a lapse of diplomacy. Yeah. It is. Um, but he isn't wrong. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong that it it is a strange messenger who brought the ring. I mean, it's unusual. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody. The wise didn't see this coming, right? Um, uh, 
Yeah. No, Arnaz, surely Bilbo isn't mistaken for a child anymore. I agree. Whatever Bilbo, Bilbo's appearance might be, I doubt he looks like a kindergartner. But, um, uh, again, like I said, Boromir will have been trying not to stare, I'm sure. Um, uh... Yeah, JJ, exactly. Frodo called Legolas a strange elf, so he can't complain. Uh, but of course, we were just talking about the word strange. Um, and uh, for that reason, I think... I think that we should recall our discussion about the word strange and apply it here. What does Boromir mean when he says, so, so strange messenger? Um... Would it be safe to paraphrase or translate Boromir's statement to the messenger who brought it is weird? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, and O'Malley, you're right. Sauron didn't expect the ring to be found by a hobbit either. No, I mean, it's strange. No question. Um, we were talking about strange meaning unfamiliar, unknown, unexpected. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, it is passing strange. Um, and that's true. I mean, that's true. Uh, it is perfectly fair to characterize them. I don't think that he is casting any aspersion on Frodo's character, right, by saying brought hither by so strange a messenger. Um, right, yeah. Uh, Dolor Stroke says that uh, he likes O'Malley's point that Sauron and Boromir make the same mistake. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, as do all the wise, right? Nobody saw this coming. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a sense to Boromir, of course, in which Frodo is as strange, at least as strange, as Legolas is, right? Legolas is a strange elf in the sense that he's a a foreigner, right? Um, He is different from the others in some way, right? He is apart from them, and he's not just one of the crowd, right? Well, neither is Frodo, right? Um, uh, He is uh, very unexpected, Um, yeah, Mike said we gave our we gave our hobbit the benefit of the doubt about using strange. We should grant it to Boromir as well. I totally agree. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I agree. What? Well, see, Fort Thomas, it's exactly it, right? I mean, one of the one of the chief advantages of the hobbits is surprise, right? Um, no one ever acclaimed, uh, no one ever accused them of a ruthless efficiency, but, uh, uh, but, but, but surprise. Yes. Yes. It's going to be one of their chief weapons against Sauron. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> right. Though JJ says they probably, he probably does have a comfy chair. Uh, true enough. And cushions. <laughs> we know they have cushions. Exactly. They get exactly the same thing. Um, but anyway, yes, yes. Um, uh, exactly. Yeah, Matt, I think that that, that, that seems to me a good, um, a good paraphrase. Uh, that strange here has the same sense that remarkable once held, like worth commenting on, right? Yeah, it's definitely worth commenting on. Um, I mean, even just when you look around the room, 
Frodo is strange. Frodo and Bilbo. The fact that there are two of them doesn't make the two of them less strange, right? They stand out. They are different from everybody else. They are set apart. They are strange. Um, uh, definitely. Um, and, of course, Tony, exactly as you say, he would... Um, uh, he would wonder how Frodo got the ring. Saying that the messenger who brought it is strange also says, Matt, like you were saying, it's worth, it's not only worth commenting on in the sense that it's, you know, he's kind of a remarkable person in this crowd, right? But it needs explanation, right? Um, how did the great ring of power end up in the hands of a halfling, right? Th- think about this, especially in the context of. This is, there were two ancient heirlooms, right? Two of the things that were kicking around on Mount Doom during the battle of the, you know, the final battle in the War of the Last Alliance, two of them are popping up again here today in this room, right? One is Elendil's broken sword and the other is uh, Sauron's ring of power, right? Same provenance, essentially, right? Uh, That is, they both came from the same spot and now they've been reunited here in this room. Um, well, we know they were reunited before. But anyway, the point is, they've both been revealed, right? Aragorn has just gone way out of his way to describe how the sword was passed from father to son, right? They know the provenance of this sword, right? They know that this was Elendil's sword. Elendil's sword has been cherished when all other heirlooms were lost, etc., etc. Um, instead, like, this ring pops up in the hand of a halfling? Right? How does that make sense? Uh, I mean, if anything, that's like evidence against um, the fact that it is what they say it is. Right? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Elrond's response is merely, that shall be told. Right? Thank you for enabling us to return to the agenda. Um, Do I read shall differently than will? Um, Yeah. Um, As... Tom Hillman was saying in the Twitch chat earlier on when we were talking about this, the sword shall be reforged, I will come to me this Tirith. Um, will, Tom was saying, indicates intent and purpose, right? Like, I... It, it involves your will, right? I mean, that's sort of part of the um, uh there, there's a reason why we have two words for two helping verbs for the p- future tense, right? Um, in English, right? Shall and will. Um, shall means um, uh, it's the it's the like this is the thing that must come, right? This is the inescapable future. It's there's almost something like an air of destiny to the word shall. Um, but it's an objective destiny, right? Will is 
I will do something means, I, I mean, like your will is engaged in that. Um, again, there's something a little bit more promisey about saying will to something. Um, yeah, it's a little bit more involved with choice. Um, yeah, exactly. So, and that we tend, modern people tend to use these as mere synonyms. Um, uh, and the word will has become a mere helping verb, right? Just a tense indicator and nothing else. Um, but, um, uh, but there are differences, you know, the origins in, in origin, they are, they are, there, there are differences. Um, uh, Elrond could say, I will tell that, right? But he doesn't say that because he's using the passive voice. That shall be told, says Elrond, because he knows he is not going to be the one to tell it, right? Um, so if you think about it, if you think about the original meanings of those words and the, the sort of the original connotation of shall versus will, um, there's something uh, he could say that will be told right but if he said that will be told he would be sort of implying something about other people's choices right he's just predicting what's going to happen right um, exactly Dolor's joke I shall go to Minas Tirith versus I will go to Minas Tirith I will reflects more of intent and purpose, as Tom said, um, rather, in, in, and not just simple futurity. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, using will in the passive voice is awkward. It would be awkward. But Johannes... Thank you for pointing out, as is certainly true, Boromir has nothing to say about Aragorn's decision to come to Minas Tirith. Um, one of the things that we have not observed about this paragraph, as Johannes is reminding us, whatever Boromir's tone might be, he is rather deftly changing the subject. <laughs> right? That was a big moment. Aragorn has just declared that he is taking up the mantle of Elendil the High King, and he is coming... Uh, to the aid of Gondor, what 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 possible array of responses does Boromir have? Uh, thanks! He could express the gratitude of Minas Tirith that an ally is coming to help. He doesn't want to do that. He could uh, cast doubt upon whether it will happen or whether it will do any good. He could resist it. Right? He could say, uh, Tony, you're right. I mean, he could be like, oh, will you? Right? Well, well, we'll see about that. Right? Um, but he, uh, um, he doesn't address it at all. Instead, he does the clever thing. Isildur's Bane has found you. Let's go back to one of the premises. Let's avoid for a moment the declarations. And let's go back to one of the premises. Right? And Lincoln, I agree with you. Boromir may not be sure himself how he feels about Aragorn declaring that he'll come to Minas Tirith. 
I still think that we have to keep in mind that Boromir himself is going to have a deep... He is not only going to be thinking like a practical politician, I think it very likely that Boromir is going to have a deep sense of awe in the presence of the fulfillment of the, like, uh, you know, prophecies and not only that the prophecy that he came with has been fulfilled, but you know, the heir of Elendil, long thought lost, has been found. You know, somebody has come who could claim the kingship. All of this is, is, whew, I mean, complicated, complicated. The awe and wonder, as well as the personal resistance, maybe even resentment, right? Um, not wanting his father to be displaced. The Numenorean epicness, exactly. I mean, there's so much here. Um, so Link and I absolutely do not have any difficulty believing that Boromir is just stalling for time here, in a sense, is one of the reasons why he's changing the subject. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, this is a tricky day. <laughs> yeah, as uh, JJ said, Boromir woke up this morning not even having any clue that there existed an heir of Isildur, right? And now he's found that the sword that was broken in the poem is the sword of Elendil, which is wielded by an heir of Elendil, which is going to be reforged and come back to Minas Tirith, right? I mean, whoa, the house of Elendil returning to Minas Tirith. Uh, definitely need to parse this, right? Um, yeah, lots of enormous events happening at once. It is extremely diplomatic of Boromir to turn... And besides which, also, as I said, very sensible, right? Um, If part of him is resisting, right, by saying, hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, We're going too fast. We're going too fast here. Um... Yes, I know my poem talked about Isildur's bane awakening and the halfling standing forth, and a halfling did stand forth, and there's a ring, which you say is Isildur's bane and everything. Like, I'm not saying this doesn't look like it's all kind of trending in exactly the direction that, you know, y'all are saying, but can we just back up a second, right? Um, uh, And make sure that we, I mean, how do the wise know that this ring is his, that this ring is Isildur's? Um, uh, anyway, I got so tied up in the antecedent question that I forgot to comment on the significance of his thinking of the ring as Isildur's ring, right? He doesn't think of the ring as Sauron's ring. He thinks of the ring as Isildur's ring. This is Isildur's ring, fair and square, right? I mean, he looted the corpse. It's his ring now, right? He used to belong to Sauron. That's why it's cool that he has it now. Um, but it was Isildur's ring. Um, and therefore, right, (laughs) all one has to do is extend the reasoning just a little bit further, right? Um, that is, if it became Isildur's ring when he took it, then it would become someone else's ring if they take it, right? Um, yeah, I mean, the, uh... The question of whom the ring belongs to is an important thing here. 
Um, yeah, and, and I, it certainly does show Tony that he doesn't understand the nature of the ring. No question. Whatever lore he has heard, and he's obviously heard some, um, uh, but whatever lore it is that he has heard, he cannot possibly, he clearly does not understand the nature of the Ring of Power. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Lincoln's like, it was a Sildur's ring, so it belongs to Gondor. This is a legitimately Gondorian heirloom, right? I should bring this back home, right? Um, and Lincoln, we will hear him rationalizing in exactly those terms, right? Uh, think of what he is going... Remember ahead to what he is going to say about, um, uh, about you know, if any have a claim to it, right? Yeah, this is... Uh, this. Um, there should clearly be a tag uh, that says, if found, return to Gondor on that ring. Clearly. Clearly. Um... Yeah, good. Exactly. Um, final conclusions about Boromir's tone? I don't think he's being snarky. I think if I had to characterize Boromir's emotional profile at this moment, it really seems to me that awe and, like, overwhelmedness are the things that he's primarily feeling. Um, he clearly doesn't want to touch Aragorn's declaration with a ten-foot pole. Right? He goes right around it. A large helping of shock. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's pumping the brakes, Tony, I agree, not out of resistance necessarily to Aragorn. Not because he's saying, like, oh, Whatever. Right? As if I'd want you to come to Minas Tirith anyway. Again, I don't see him being resistant in that way. Um, but this has all moved very quickly. Right? Um, and, uh, and JJ, it's also very possible. Maybe he is frustrated to some extent that there's a bunch of knowledge that everyone else is taking for granted, but that he doesn't know anything about. Right? Um, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, as... Mornowin says he's come a long way and he wants the details. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Um, uh, and again, that makes perfect sense, right? He, he should look into this. Um, and I don't even think that his question, um, you know, how do the wise know that this ring is his, implies skepticism on his part. Um, it could be, again, JJ, I'm thinking back to your parallel, right, to... to to Edmund, right? How you know? But how do we know, right? Um, I, I don't think it has to be like that at all. Um, could I hear the proofs? This is, you know, doom might be at hand, right? Um, a new hour may be coming, right? Battle is certainly at hand. We should be certain that this really is Isildur's bane. It is, I agree, Mariel, not wrong uh, to seek that. Um, um, and yes, as uh, Matt's pointing out, um, Aristor is going to ask the same question. Absolutely. Um, uh, so yeah, we know that Boromir is not the only one in the room who's wondering about this. 
um, uh, yeah, Matt says he, uh, not only can I hear the proofs, but also can you tell me the history? It might be important. Definitely. Yes. Show your work. Absolutely. That you've skipped right to the answer to the question and we need to see the, uh, the evidence. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that shall be told, said Elrond. So I think that um, even the neutrality of Elrond's response, that shall be told, um, he doesn't seem to be kind of backpedaling or uh, there doesn't seem to be any kind of... I take it from Elrond's words in part that Boromir has... If Boromir had been really using snark, right... I mean, if, if, if we read that paragraph in the most aggressive possible way of him throwing snark at Aragorn and casting aspersions at the so-called wise, right? I mean, you can, you can go deep in the sarcasm in the way you read that paragraph, potentially. But if that were the case, I think that Elrond would have more to say than just that shall be told, right? I would think he would be like, you know, I can understand your doubts, Boromir, but, you know, I remember... Uh, Aragorn began his speech by acknowledging Boromir's doubts. Um, uh, Elrond doesn't do that. He just says, that shall be told. Um, as a very sensible response to what is indeed a very sensible request. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. We're about to get another interruption, of course. Um, uh, exactly, yes. Elrond's, Elrond's response is, is better paraphrased. I, you know, instead of paraphrasing it as something like, whoa there, like, you know, let's, uh, let's keep this civil, Boromir. Instead, his response sounds more like, I'm glad you asked that. That's my next slide. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, yep, yep. Um, yeah. Okay. So next week we will look at the interruption as of course it's time for Bilbo to pipe up again. Um, and, uh, we will see what Bilbo has to say about this. Um, yeah, good. Um, Torah Stroke says, if I ever use snark, you'll be awake, you'll be facing me, and you'll be armed. Yeah. Torah uh, Stroke, I just... Uh, I, I, uh, it's a Firefly quote, of course, for those who don't recognize it from the first episode. Um, I, um, um, I actually, uh, I've j just yesterday, watched that uh, with my kids. Uh, since we're all home, uh, my wife and I have been doing some... Uh, uh, family movie nights with our boys watching some longer running things that we didn't think we'd have time to watch with them, but we do now. Uh, so we just finished uh, watching all three seasons of Stranger Things, which they hadn't seen, so we just watched that. And we've just started Firefly. Um, that's our Having finished season three of uh, Stranger Things, we've, we've embarked uh, on Firefly. And after that, my plan had been to embark on the new Who with them and go back and start with Christopher Eccleston and do the new Doctor Who. Um, except... It's been removed from Amazon Prime, and I feel uh, like that. Uh, actually, Ambrosius Aurelianus, that was like uh, a sudden but inevitable betrayal uh, on the part of Amazon um, uh, there. But um, 
anyway, um, yeah, so, um, uh, yeah, I was shocked to find that uh, the new Who is no longer on uh, Amazon Prime. So I'm still kind of trying to recover and figure out my plan because I'm not sure I want to purchase all the seasons. Um, but uh, anyway, um, yeah, Tessa, I don't know where we can get the new Who anymore, like if it's available on any of the regular streaming services. But um, yeah, Evil Dr. Cannon, we... Uh, um, uh, we um, no, it's not on BritBox. Classic Who is still on BritBox, but the new Who is not. It's very frustrating. Um, we did watch Pride and Prejudice, the miniseries. We did, we did do that. Um, but um, I, I, Evil Dr. Cannon says we've Im- implemented mandatory 80s movie night with our boys to culture them. We, started, we, we, we call it compuls- compulsory cinematic education, uh, which we did uh, started with our boys many years ago. But see, we've been doing like single movies like once a week. Um, and, um, um, that was, uh, that's why we were like, we're never going to get a chance to watch like TV shows, like long running TV shows. Um, but, um, anyway, okay. Um, uh, so there we are. Okay. Um, all right. Yeah. I've not found it on any of the British streaming. I don't think it's on Acorn. I know it's not on BritBox, but, um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get there. Okay. Anyway, this was me ending class anyway, so that's why I've allowed myself to digress here. All right. Uh, so thanks everybody uh, for uh, thanks everybody for joining us for class. We'll come back uh, next week and um, uh, resume with Bilbo's uh, uh, Bilbo's interruption. It's field trip time now, so we're going to shift over. Thanks to folks who are watching on Twitter. My Twitter app crashed a little while back so that was suboptimal um but um uh the um uh and thanks for the folks who uh joining us on the talent again this week and uh you can folks can still join us on twitch for the field trip good evening all right i am uh i'm there in spirit tonight i'm afraid uh there's a bug preventing me opening oh no So I'm just going to have to look over your shoulder and yell at you when you don't look at the things that I want you to look at. Okay, no problem. We'll see if we can... uh, I will try to have my camera at your service here. Oh, So Uh, I found out Netflix is going to be getting Avatar The Last Airbender, the animated series. They already have the movie. Don't watch that. But I think uh, they'd probably love... If you haven't seen it already, the animated series is amazing. Okay. All right, so so folks who are here, we're gonna go. Let's go up to Gathforthnir again. So we're gonna, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna I'm gonna quick travel up to Gathforthnir, and we'll start from there. Um, All right. Okay. I'm already sympathetically moving the mast. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the uh, the yeah the the last Airbender that's actually been on my list for a while. Uh, I mean, I I do miss it up by the way. I do mix it up by the way and watch things that my sons want me to watch as well to try to like yeah. let the compulsory education be mutual. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we've been watching, for instance, uh, uh, the Clone Wars series, which oh, I have, uh, which I hadn't seen yet. And my son both saw it. So uh, we've been, we were watching, we've, we've been watching that off and on. Um, I also, um, Matthias also definitely felt the need to educate me on, um, uh, uh, Skylanders, which was a really good show. Glad that uh, he watched that with me because I thought that was very funny. Um, Intriguing. Uh, Skylanders was uh, was one of my compulsory education things. Um, 
Uh, yeah. So you want to talk about fairy folklore, and you have Disney Plus. Highly recommend Gargoyles. That was was what I watched when I was in high school. That's what got me into fairy lore and learning about fairies and folklore. That's on Disney Plus. Yeah, it's on Disney Plus. Whole thing. Don't watch season three. Season three doesn't exist. Okay. um, The entire storyline especially season two when they start getting into different pantheons and folklores is really interesting. Okay. Well, you also, see, you know, I can um, never, it, I can never follow those kinds of instructions. Like that's not possible. Like if I'm, okay. if I'm going to watch something, I'm going to watch it. Like I, I'm not, I'm not going to watch skip. the whole thing and make your own judgments. I'm not going to skip. Yeah, but, like, I mean, that, that one season happened. three, I think it's like six seasons. So six episodes. So it wasn't that interesting anyways. Right. Right. Um, they pulled the plug halfway through. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I met the creator of Gargoyles uh, at BlizzCon a couple years ago. Very nice. That's pretty cool. Also, uh, a lot of fun. How if, can I be uh, of service? Yeah, you guys are, have seen Star Trek Next Generation since like most of the cast is in the show. Right. When yeah. I was in no. High school, I, I, we would call it Gargoyles Next Generation. Right. I, I, Gargoyles of the holodeck. Yeah. 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 Um, oh, hey, uh, the. Swift travel is open to me now because I opened the. It doesn't need rep yep. anymore. Huh? Because I opened no, the. No, it does. You probably have the rep. No, there's no way I do. I've mm-hmm. never done any questing of any. I've, to my knowledge, Narnian has never completed a quest. <laughs> okay. Well, don't tell them they won't fix it. Yeah. Um. Uh, but I did, of course, when I came, so I, I, I mithril coined, uh, to the quick travel last week, but then I introduced myself to the stable master, like reflexively. I didn't even think about it. Um, and now it's open. So there we are. Kind of cool. Um, but, um, but anyway, yeah, no, we had, uh, we had someone do, uh, was it Ashley Thomas? I think it was, uh, do, a uh, a talk, give a talk on gargoyles at uh, New England moot this year. Uh, she was very much advocating uh, it being worth a rewatch as a, as a, a really interesting show for, for very similar reasons, talking about the, the fairy lore oh, thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember even back in the days hearing people who really loved it. Um, I mean, like, of course, I was certainly capable of watching it when it was first on, but I never did. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, anyway... Um, Ah, Spring Festival might have opened the Stable Master, Angrist says. Maybe so. Maybe. Maybe so. Uh, it's the anniversary festival. It's open now. Right. Well, whichever festival it is. Who knows? I don't know. Hmm. But anyway, hmm. not complaining, not having to spend a Mithril coin every week. I'm not going yep. not gonna, to not gonna complain about that. Um, oh. But, uh, yeah, cool. Anyway, so, so no, I'm... Uh, Gargoyles is on is on my list. Uh, Gravity Falls is on my list. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, several things that I need to catch up on, but uh, yeah. but yeah, we're doing. My team uh, just wants to watch Golden Girls. <laughs> right, <laughs> not on my list. Something I did see several episodes of in first run back in the day, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so Gathforth near. <laughs> okay, Gathforth near. So here we are. So we're not going to go inside because we did inside. Yes. Uh, uh-huh. So uh, I'm not going inside. And wait, Gravity Falls is on Netflix now, isn't it? 
Disney Plus. It's on Disney Plus? Okay. Mm-hmm. See, look at that. More reasons for Disney Plus. Okay, so we're going to explore the area around here. Yeah, Amethorn, my list keeps getting longer, too. I've I kind of... I've, I've, I've got I've, all I've, the time I've, in the world. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's another show to binge with the kids is Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which oh, I love it. Okay. So I'm just looking Except at this lake from down here as we saw yeah. it from above. It's uh, that same green color that we and saw. That tower is what's it? What's it called? It's Balad Gu- ba- Barad Guluron. Barad Guluron. I think so. Yeah, Must there's be. a there's a whole mess of towers over there. Yeah. Full of nasty stuff. Yeah, I think that's what that must be. Okay. I remember we ding-dong ditched all of them that one time before. Yes. Yes, various points. Okay, nice green spiders. Oh, Bogberth's grief. I remember Bogberth. Good grief. Okay, oh, wait, Hark. Another tower. I'm looking at my map. What am I looking? I'm looking over. It's Himbar. Okay, let's go that way, or maybe we want to go north. If you crest over that hill, you can get an idea of how many towers there are. Yeah, let's go. Can we can we get up here? I don't know that we can get up here. No, we can't. Oh, we can, we can. We can. Wait, there's a path. Okay, good. There is a path. I gave up too soon. <laughs> okay. Ah. Yep, there's Barad Guleron and its satellites there. Uh-huh. Okay. Over here, we have... Oh, a different green lake, and a tower in the distance, and oh, looks like a house in the foreground. We've definitely got some civilization over there. Oh, dang. In the north, I can't see anything. Let's go around this way and see what we can find. You go around that oh, way, or no, is that the spider's den? Well... I always run into the spider's nest. Yeah, it's a dead end, so probably just spiders. So let's go around the other way. Less interested in looking at spiders' dens. Remember when we brought me along to kill the one giant spider? I was not prepared for how big that spider was. Bogbreath? Oh my goodness, yeah. Yeah, Bogbreath. Was... Bogbreath was one of my first ever raids, I think. Yeah, I, mine too, actually. I, I, I almost never... Because I did almost all of my, you know, initial questing solo. Um, mm-hmm. So I skipped any, you know, earlier raids. But, uh... I tackled Bogorath for the first time soloed on my main last year. <laughs> ah. Total cheese. Yeah, well. <laughs> okay, what do we have? We've got... Looking from a distance. Oh, yeah. I... So we've got more Hillman houses, right? Those yeah. Bree-style houses, the ones which are reminiscent anyway. Of uh, uh, of Brie, we've mm-hmm. got those towers, so we can see. Oh, someone's being assaulted. Thank you. Um, uh, okay. In the I'm trying to decide if we can see from here two or three different layers. I'm thinking three. Yeah, me too. We've got the hillman in the front, yeah. in the front, in the in, in, in the front here. Um, mm-hmm. Then we've got like 
the little turrets. Yeah, the there. walls and towers behind, which I think are probably old Angmar, right? But the spiky tower bits, those look newer. And the, 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 the metal spikes we've seen, I think, correlated with a bunch of the newer stuff. I have to see that. <laughs> yeah, the tower in the distance might be the, the one on the right mm-hmm. with the multiple prongs uh, might be old. Um, it does look more old style. Yeah. Well, the new one's got that new... You know, the new slick purple fish hooks that we saw in uh, a new nest. Right. And then we've got a tent up on the hill over there, which makes me want to go over there. But let's, it, it let's, like let's go up here first because we've got a... Hut. Yeah, maybe. Because we've got a pavilion here. Uh-huh. Uh, and this is clearly from one of the... Right. He's just called an Iron Crown Priest, this guy. Those flames are awfully close to the tent's roof. Oh, what, the torches? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, you know, maybe they're heatless as well as strangely colored, perhaps. Um, it's got an interesting dread effect on it. Yeah. So... Is that, a, is that the Iron Crown on the altar? It is, yeah. The Iron Crown is on the altar. So we've got blood stains and the Iron Crown on the altar. But I think it's new, the altar. Yeah. Uh, you know, like the altar that Sam found in Ithilien, I would say that this is not ancient. Yeah, it's pretty shiny. Yeah, the carvings Part look really blood. fresh and crisp. There's no cracks or wear. It doesn't show, it doesn't show a crack or sign of wear. Uh, mm-hmm. uh Everything's got that purple sheen of the, the new... Yeah. Yes. You're right. That purplish shade is one of the things that I do associate with the new Angmarim metal stuff. But it's interesting to me, This just as the houses over there, right, on the other side of the lake, look like the Bree houses, so this pavilion, when we look at the pavilion itself, like the tent and its decorations... Reminds me of the Easterlings. Yeah. Yeah, it's got those little orange slices on it. Yeah, you got the orange slices. Now, we saw things like the orange slices up with the, what are they called? The Trebdurdine or whatever they're called. The the folks up in... Auger, yeah. In Auger, yeah. Yeah. Um, But... I mean, his outfit is also very similar. I mean, the dress of this priest is also very similar to the Easterlings. Like, we will see very similar styles in... Those guys are all over Numinous. Yeah. Yeah. The Iron Crown guys, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They call themselves Black Numenorean. Right. Exactly. So... Just as we see, you know, sort of the standard Dunedain um, clothing look, right? Uh-huh. We seem to have, there seem to be some implications of connection. I mean, this guy 
his dress does not look anything like the dress of the uh, uh, what's the name of the the tribe the the evil tribe of the warrior people down in the southwest the ones who are primarily the foes of the uh, trade the trade do or dying or whatever they're called um, there was the good yeah, tribe and the right. bad tribe right yeah yeah the guy the, the the traitors the cheaters yeah the cheaters exactly yeah. this guy does not look anything like one of them right he's identified as an Angmarim um, he's not a hillman so this is one of the folks who are imported into Angmar to help run the show here right not one of the oh, yeah. locals um, he probably doesn't think very highly of the locals no probably not well let's remember this tent and it's, or this pavilion, I should say. It's not precisely a tent. It's hangings, it's spears, which is holding it up, of course. Not just posts, but spears, specifically. See, when I saw this from a distance, I did not expect to find to find a priest under there. I expected yeah, to find tr- one of the, like, more savage-looking tribesmen. Yes. Under here. So let's see who else we find. So let's first, let's go up around and see what that thing is up on the slope. And then let's loop around and look at the houses by the lake. Looks like the stables we see around. Right, perhaps so. Would be kind of strange to have their stables so far out of the way, but... Oh. Uh, but yeah, it's, so it was like back to Boromir's thing, like all the Angmarm and stuff like that. It's once again, it's like imagine if you had a dream, say, go to Cornwall and you found a way to Avalon, and suddenly there's like the grandson of King Arthur, and there's this kid here who's holding Excalibur. Right. Right. All of these things coming true that are too weird to be believed. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay, so this is another Iron Crown guy, another Angmarim fellow. He's got the hood. He's got the poofy sleeves. Right? He's got the 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 cute little shoes. And the the purple OB. Yeah, but I don't I don't I'm not sure I like the purple turquoise combination. I mean, I think his color combination is questionable. But, He's making a statement. Well, it is a statement. I'm just not real Okay, so he's a tamer, so he's a spider tamer, right? This pit oh. is meant to contain spiders, and he's that's, that's whom, he, whom he's taming? He's doing a bad job. They're all over the place. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, spiders, look. There's only so much you can do. Talk about hurting cats. Try hurting spiders. Um, <laughs> no, thank you. So here's the structure we were seeing from down below, and it's leather. It's neither thatch... Oh, yep. No, yeah, Just like it's, over there. It's hides, right, yeah. Yeah, now these are posts, not spears. They're pointy posts, but they're posts. Um, and this is just like a, I don't know, what, like a lean-to of some kind. Not a lean-to. It doesn't lean, but... Yeah, it just seems to be... I'm not even sure what this is. Like what its function is meant to be. This guy... They're telling jokes and he's yeah, laughing. Yeah, he's laughing. Yeah. Okay, so, okay, okay. So why did the spider <laughs> go on the internet? He wanted to start a website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, okay. So... Uh, Evil's nice. not funny. Evil's not funny, yeah. No. They don't have humor. They're not very good at hobbitry. And look at this guy contemplatively staring out over the over the spiders. <laughs> okay. Okay, see, now this is a tent... Maybe he's a spider tamer in training. Just like we would have seen in Alkire, they've got the orange slices, too. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, these definitely look like um, some of the tribal shelters and stuff, and they've just been taken over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or they were told to erect a shelter, and this is what they got. Yeah. Oh, the Trave Galorg are the good guys, and the Trave Duvardine oh, are the are the bad yeah. guys. Okay, thank you, Edith. Okay. Thank you for looking that up. I appreciate that. Thank you. That's very helpful. Um, uh-huh. Okay. So, right, okay, so the Trave Duvardine are the ones that I was thinking of. But no, I'm still not seeing any of those. This looks like one of their tents, right? Mm-hmm. Same designs as the pavilion that we saw across the way there, though that little swirly thing is kind of, not just the squares, but the little swirly oh, thing. The triple inside. thing? Yeah, yeah, we've seen the little Triscal before. We have. That's interesting, though. But anyway, these um, dudes... The field to Esteldine. Estel... In Esteldine? Um, yeah, there were some tribal settlements near the walls near Angmar. Oh, 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 right, right, right. Okay. And that's where we saw these little triscales and the orange slices. Yeah. The spears are a little bit different, though I think they're fairly similar. But anybody in here? No? Nobody and no. nothing in here. Totally empty Just tent. like last time. Okay. All right, got a lot of side. shelters not sheltering anything. Yeah, exactly. Um... But no Trave Duverdine. None of these guys are Trave Duverdine. And yet the structures could So we have a we're seeing a a weird sort of disjunction between the structures and the people here. Let's head over towards that town and see what we see. Can we get there from here? It's definitely showing some sort of partnership. Yeah. But is it merely a one-sided one, though? Okay, right? So here we can see some of the hide-roofed shelters right in among the uh, nice, those stuff. slightly evil um, Tudor, con- Tudor houses. Mm-hmm. Okay, now those are Trave Duverdine. Those, that, yeah, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. That's funny. Yes. They're here at the Half Timbers. Let's see yeah, okay. See, that's just what Careful, I Careful, there's expected. a there is a roving threat nearby. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Alright. Well she oh, like, enabled me to see her shoes a little more clearly. Um trying to look at the bright side. Uh yeah, cool tones again. Purples and greens. Yeah, okay now oh but now laboring in the field we have Angmarim. Alright, I did not see that coming. Yeah. So we had the the Trave Duvardine standing guard while the Angmarim work in the fields. Yeah. I guess the red huh. cloaks indicate that they're not very high up the pecking order. Right. They're different. What are they called? Marksmen, though. Okay. Called marksmen. Um... Yeah, definitely sort of acolytes or something. These are not the, the spell slingers and spider tamers. No. 
but still they're still doing all the work while the tribesmen stand around holding weapons it's a suggestive look I, I suppose thinking you're superior is absolutely nothing when you're outnumbered by people with lots of weapons right though goodness knows that hasn't stopped lots of people in the past um yeah, but see, Brandon thinks that slightly evil Tudor houses are fun. I agree, but come on, isn't that right? I mean, look at that, right? Look at that house. Yes, very sleepy hollow. Love it. <laughs> right? I mean, it's a Tudor house. It's like, it is not uncute, right? No. It is not uncute, but it's a little bit evil. I mean, look at the spikes. They've got spikes standing up on the, on the, on the roof beams. Like, right? with, like the weather vein fell off and it's just the spike left. And the the like slight air of corruption, which I know like my house used to get that on the north side as well uh, and need to get power washed every once in a while but um, <laughs> uh, I have to say I don't miss that from the mid-Atlantic region. Uh, I don't get that anymore in New England. Um, but um, but yeah, no one's bothered to refresh the whitewash in a long time. It is true. There's a there's a there's a kind of of neglect about it, which leads to. I mean, again, just like look at this house, and then look at the houses in Bree, and I, you know, slightly evil is what I come away with here, right? There's kinda, lights on in it. There's people there. Yeah, kind of ominous. Like there are lights inside, but no doors at the ground level. That's ominous. Yeah. How'd they get in? I don't know. I don't like to think about it. Someone up there growing a lot of hair. There's a bear hide on the wall. Is it curing? Or is it just to ward off bears? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, these seem to be curing that are hanging up here. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that we've got skins stretched out, you know to dry get that seems a very um hang on i want to look at the big guys here for a second before they get killed they gotta patch up those leather patchwork tents they got holes yeah okay so the gorthog here he's got lots of metal armor more metal armor than any of the trave du verdine do yep and yet his vital squishy stomach is exposed well you know that fancy breastplate couldn't fit over the pot belly, but uh, yeah, no, I'm just saying, a knife in the right place, gone. True, true. Um, I demand more realistic armor for my ogre. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think he was armed by the. Tra- I'm trying to figure out who's in charge here. You know, I don't know. But I, he, he does not look like. This does not look like a guy who has been who has shopped at the stores of the Trave Duverdine. That's all I'm saying. No, right? he does that not shop at the same store. Too shiny and too stolen. And too metallic, right? I mean, there's too metallic. They, they don't have that much. They do skins, and she's got like bronze. I think it's yeah. bronze, right? Yeah, no, I was kidding. I was kidding about realistic. It looks realistic because it looks like he's stolen it and it doesn't quite fit. Right. Right, like that used to belong to a human knight, and it just covers his chest. Or a horse. <laughs> or a horse, true. Or an elephant. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, yeah, So, but she's mostly leather with just the shoulder pads, mostly, of yeah. 
brass or I like her outfit. It's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. We've got banners. Iron crown banners. Iron crown banners, yeah. Those are not Trave Duverdine banners. So this would suggest that the Angmarim are in charge. And the banners, no banners on this house. But over here, the banners are all over the house. Uh Oh, this is where that dude is. The Cargoal. Oh, yeah. Okay, you were asking who's in charge? I'm going to say him. Right. He sure looks like he's in charge. He looks like a guy who could make training sorcerers plow fields. (laughs) Right. Okay, so hang on a second. Now, this guy... Let me look at his claws for a second. Don't come near if you're gonna if you're gonna uh, aggro Engage. the cargo. Yeah. Um, so, so what's he got game, on him? He's got crowns, like, but those are not the iron crown. Those are regular no. crowns. Those are just they're pretty. They're gold crowns. I mean, they're literally the, gold crowns. It's a it's a very nice patterned robe. It doesn't look ominous. It looks kingly. It's all raggedy at the bottom, but that can happen. Um, yeah. Uh, what are the designs at the bottom of his robe? Athelos? Some kind of three-leaf... It looks like, yeah, a three-leaf something or other, doesn't it? Yeah. Fleur-de-lis, iris... It's not exactly the fleur-de-lis. We've seen something that looks exactly like the fleur-de-lis. Um, That's fair. Like in decorations in Rivendell, right? Yes. But, uh, but it wasn't that. It was not the same as that. But the point is, nothing about the symbols on his robe says Angmar. Like, there's no iron crown. It's a gold crown. It's it's a totally unrelated crown. Look at the lining of his hood. But I'm close enough uh-huh. to smell his black breath. But just a design, I think, not runes. I thought it might be runes, but it looks like it's just a design. So in the game lore, these are like like the Nazgul, except not the Nazgul. These were like Morgul victims. Is that how that works? Yeah, this is it. Like as we saw from the very beginning with Amdir, right? These are yeah. like this is what happened when you the, 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 poorly I mean, named Amdir. <laughs> right. Remember uh, um, Gandalf when Gandalf was talking about what would have happened to Frodo, right? That he mm-hmm. would have become a like a, a, a lesser shadow under their sway. That seems to be the inspiration for the Kargoak, the textual inspiration for the concept of the Kargoak. Of course, the word is not a is not a textual word. Um, we don't we don't know that Kargoak doesn't mean anything in any particular language. Well, it's not a Tolkien word that I know of. I mean, oh. it's it's uh, it's clearly with the. Uh, I mean, so Nazgul, of course, means uh-huh. ringwraith, right? Yeah. Um, you know the Naz, you know Ashnaz. Uh, is is ring uh, mm-hmm. and the ghoul means like you know well like it's the wraith part right of ring wraith yeah I um, think that part's Arabic I've seen it and think like Balgul which was like some sort of fire demon or something it's similar yeah but it's it's definitely black speech of course Morgul also has the same root in it which is just like the uh, dark something well right? black yeah. yeah black um uh yeah like hmm. dark Intriguing. arts like dark sorcery like dark 
And of course, Morgul is associated with, uh, right? Karna is uh, red in Cinderin. O'Malley says that seems okay, to be very. I was wondering. Likely. I was wondering if it was red because yeah. that seems to be the the motif here. Which I wonder why. I wonder why. Um, why does he keep stabbing himself? Is another question I ask myself. But I guess if you're kind of incorporeal, then you can kind of do that. Um, yeah. So yeah, it'd be kind of like a red wraith, but. That seems strange to me. Why associate them with the color red? I mean, okay, like yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it, and he's got a red robe on, but that's not an answer to the question. That's a restatement of the question. Why do we put him in a red robe in the first place? Um, uh, red in the game, red has a special context with dread. Look at look right? at your bar. See yeah, how it's turning yeah, red. Yeah, exactly. There. Yeah. So maybe it's that sort of it, it's the color of dread in this game, and therefore red dread. Right, right. Red maybe. dread redemption. Maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah, Amethorn says he's periodically sniffing the air. Um, that those are not hands; those are gloves. So that's not. Uh, um, it's a slimy glove, not an actual hand. Yeah. You can see, yeah, you can, yeah, see, you can the see the edge of it. You can see the wrinkles, like and you skeleton. can see the edge of it. It's like yeah. a skeleton wearing a glove, and it doesn't quite fit. Yeah. It's good detail. Uh-oh. There we go. It's okay. Right, now he can chase you down. Allowing a fuller view of his backside, which is nice. Oh. More, More crown crowns and yeah. it's almost like it's almost like a bishop's or a, or a priest stole. You yeah, know, he did have a stole. Got it around his yeah. shoulders like that. Yeah, it gives it some sort of uh, ecumenical weight to him. Right, right. But also look everywhere around here in Angmar. Red is just sort of a reoccurring theme. Maybe red indicates a tie to Angmar. Maybe, maybe. And before they all get killed, let me find out who these guys are. That guy was a priest. These guys are just Iron Crown warriors. These guys are practicing over here. See, for the life of me, it really looks like the Trey of Duvardin are in charge here. I mean, obviously that screeching Cargill was a big boss. No question. Um, but when we look... I mean, everywhere we go, we see over there... We see the Trave Duverdine standing guard with the troll guy, right? And the Angmarim working the fields. Here, we see Angmarim training with straw dummies, like they're newbie recruits, while the Trave Duverdine, who just got slain over there by that other dude, um, were, again, standing guard with nice armor and weapons. It's almost like the two teams aren't actually working together at all. Yeah, but just what is puzzling me here is the way in which the Angmarim appear to be being depicted as the junior partner, which I never would have expected. Well, the ones in red are, I think, the, the, the different color groups are higher ranking. Agreed. There are definitely different rankings, and the priests, I mean... Look, they, These are all little acolytes trying to prove they're they, worth it. Ooh, is it just me or is this glowing more? That is glowing more, isn't it? Huh. Is the Iron Crown a little more luminous? 
Yeah. In this could one be the light. Was? It just. Yeah, it could be where we are. It could be the light. Maybe. It could be the dread. <laughs> Maybe. That's um, ominous. But it's anyway, I they're sacrificing. By the way, you notice how there seems to be a raised edge to the altar, like as if to keep uh, all the blood inside oh, the yeah. altar. Like a roasting pan. <laughs> yeah, it does look like a roasting pan. Um, anyway, I don't know who the priest, the Angmarim priest, was killing on this altar, or whom he does kill routinely on this altar. Um, but see, I would have, like, if I'd been asked to predict, what I would have predicted when we saw this settlement from a distance is that this is a, was a town of the Hillmen that was taken over by the Angmarim army and that they have now conscripted the locals into their army are training them, are forcing them to work and training them to fight, is what I would have said. And what we've found is almost the opposite. Now, I grant you that these are low-ranking, and like that priest who is kneeling by the altar doesn't seem to be doing any chores for anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got the the priests who re, who've regened here um, with the cargool, right? Uh, though, yeah. though these are the same marksmen, these are the same dudes who are who are. Working the who are hoeing the fields across the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, it makes me wonder if any of the the Duverdem were, you know, if if whereas these guys are patrolling. Those people were shoved into red red robes and forced to do their bidding. Hmm. Ah, so if this could be not only a uh, uh, like a political takeover, but like a cultural takeover, right? Like they're being exactly. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. So that these Iron Crown warriors and marksmen are actually Trave du Verdain who are no longer being permitted to wear their traditional garb or do their traditional things. That's an interesting thing. Or maybe they were maybe they were radicalized to take the red robe. Right? For the glory of Angmar and whatever. That is very interesting. I like that idea. Um, it's it's evil enough, but I wouldn't put it past Angmar. Right. Especially like where were, you know where were all these people, hundred thousand, two thousand years ago? They had to come from some. Right. Yeah, and the priest um, radicalized. The priest. The priests are the only Angmarim who are acting like they're in charge. Like that one is patrolling, and that other one is just kneeling at the altar over there, mind you know, like ignoring everybody else. Yeah. Right. So Brandon is wondering if. Um, uh, is wondering if uh, the Cargol was the old town leader here. You know, was he taken and the Angmarim, um, you know, converted to him? Um, like they converted him, right? Like they, he was he was made into a Cargol and then brought back to the town in order to solidify their kind of conversion, right? to Angmar. Not just submission to Angmar, but conversion. That's an, I like this idea. It's an interesting idea. It is an interesting idea. We'll have to see if we can see any other evidence of something like that. Oh, there's that uh, sort of dragon serpent shield. That yeah, serpent. Just saw that field. symbol from a distance. And, um, these banners are obviously not 
Drave Duverdine. I mean, that's just clearly that's the the Iron Crown. But again, all of the the fiery sort of decorative work around the side, nothing like we see. I mean, again, you compare this to the you know like the high the you know the high multi hide leather sewn uh, patchy. Um, you know, canvas over there, right? It's just like a totally yeah. different level of creation here. Interesting. Okay. All right. That is, this is an interesting theory. We'll have to see if we see much more evidence for this kind of thing in this area here. How far do we get into Himbar? Well, not too far. There's still a lot down to the south, I guess. Um, Up to Karndum. Yeah, well, we're seeing that, of course, as well. <laughs> Absolutely. And we can see a little bit more closely from here. I'll just look from the edge of this hill. And oh, then we got some Merivale perches here. Yes, we've got some Merivale perches, right? Yeah, yeah. The pink in the trees, right? You can always tell. Yep. Uh, and then... Whoever suggested it might look like them as a decoy, it was very clever. I That is a very clever suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, actually, from here it all does look old. We do see the two different styles of tower, but I'm not convinced that that suggests it's two different periods of architecture. Yeah. Because we've seen both styles elsewhere. And both of them have looked old. Fish hooks on one side, we got the bat wings on the other. Right. Well, we'll see. From here, if I had to guess, I would guess that the lower one on the right is the new one, and the upper one on the left is the older. If if they are from two different periods, that's how I'd guess it. I can't see the metal, but the square stone on the taller tower with the fish hooks does make it look old. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right, but we'll have to see in what the relationship... Is there any... I see pink light... Oh, that's from one of the statues up in the front. Okay, so the Merivale. Yeah, we got two warding statues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the way into that, there, and that is that the passage into. Carndoom. Carndoom, that is. Yes. That's the highway to Carndoom. Okay, so we won't go in there, but we'll take a look. Highway to heck. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay, all right. Well, we will continue our look around Himbar, and we're gonna we're not gonna go up that way towards Carndoom. We're saving Carndoom for the end. But we'll continue looking down here around south until we are overlooking the Imlad Balkorth, and then we'll continue from there, either down into the Imlad Balkorth or over to um, Barad Gulran. All right, but I'm going to let everybody go to bed now because it's been it's late. (laughs) So, thanks everybody for joining me. This has been fun, and uh, we will be back again next week for more discussion and more exploration. So thanks everybody and good night. Good night everyone. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of the Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.